Curtains have opened up the auditorium to usher a performance of Pabs Pabulous. Spotlight shines overhead. Director raises their thumb if everybody's comfortable. I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you for waiting to now unwind. Feast your imagination on what you find. What will you find? Pat Babylon, Pat Babylon, Guten Tag! I want to begin by saying if you're not pro free speech, stop listening to the podcast. Fuck off. If you're easily offended, fuck off. Stop listening to the podcast. I don't ever want to hear anyone complain about being offended by something I, I say ever because it means nothing. I will never care, I will never apologise, I couldn't give a shit. This podcast is a safe space for freedom of speech. I, I intend on building an empire here with this podcast, an empire of cool people, of intelligent people. And, and if you're not pro-free speech, you're not cool and you're not intelligent. You're not wise and you, you never will be. You are a labia, a, a, a psychopathic labia doing the bidding of globalist tyrants and don't lie to yourself oh well I'm cool but then you know you just lurk in the shadows and then six six months from now you know I say something you don't like and get my fucking uh, you know bank account shut down because I I misgendered a parakeet you know not worth it I I, I don't have the funds for this kind of chicanery I'm I'm not ye you know but but I I am often sleepy you know, it's, it's absolutely not not going to be worth it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just not that desperate to have any fickle fans. We'll be fine without you. You know, Mark Twain has a good quote. Censorship is like telling a man that he can't have a steak because a baby can't chew it. And that's exactly what you are, a baby. An infantilized, censorious baby, an enemy of art, an enemy of God, a power bottom to the demiurge. And and also when you think about it, all offense is ephemeral. You know, it doesn't last. This should be this should be as common knowledge as putting your hand in a fire will result in it being burned. You know what I mean? And and you know, it doesn't matter how offended you become in life, because all the ecosystems of the planet will remain exactly the fucking same, because it means nothing. It's the least significant event in the entire cosmos. Nobody cares that you're offended, so don't tell me, don't listen to the podcast. You're a shitbag. And, and to any future fan of the podcast, if anyone, if anyone ever complains... In this uh, podcast community I'm forging here, I call upon you to let them know in the comments that they are a victim of the vaginal mind. 
and uh, and I know this might sound like a strange way <laughs> for me to start the podcast, but it's very important, you know, because there's a lot of self-righteous, egomaniacal, schizophrenic killjoys in the world today that have, that have convinced themselves that victimhood is a virtue. So, so I have to lay down the law of the podcast and, uh, you know, banish these uh, people from my lands like... Uh, like St. Patrick, because there's snakes. But the the rest of us, oh, uh, don't you worry. We're gonna we're gonna have a jolly good time. Me and you, we're, we're gonna listen to some songs. We're gonna play games. We're gonna we're gonna have a good old hearty chuckle. Uh, you know, believe me on that. And uh, I'm I'm honestly not sure what the podcast is even gonna be about. To be honest, uh, perhaps it it will just be a snippet into my psychotherapy. Perhaps it will uh, document my descent into a prostitution. Time will tell. The only guarantee I have is that everything you're about to hear may well be the ramblings of a madman. I was a little bit nervous before I uh, started this podcast, but turns out I'm a, I'm a natural. Uh, so yeah, we, we wanted to talk about uh, psychedelics this episode. You know, those things that are taken in Africa with Ibogaine, South America, uh, Ayahuasca. You might have heard Joe Rogan and his uh, his ilk, uh, maybe, maybe even his elk. Uh, wax lyrical about that um, in Central and North America they'll take a peyote in my country we're a part of the, uh, the psilocybe tribe in Siberia they, uh, they're known for drinking the piss of reindeers that have consumed Amanita muscaria which is, which is the Mario Brothers looking mushroom and you got to think, like, how strange must that be for those reindeers? You know, they'll just say, hey, a, a bold uh, monkey-looking thing just came over and started drinking my piss. Nah, man, you're, you're just tripping. Uh... Even in the past, you know, it, it's uh, it's said uh, there was a lot of psychedelics. Um, the blue blue lily, I believe, uh, in ancient Egypt, that's what people speculate resulted in the um, visions for the for the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Uh, in ancient Greece, the Eleusinian mysteries, which was like um, a, a, a kind of a place in Eleusis. Where they'll drink a beverage, and no one knows what beverage it was. There's spec- many like speculations of of what its contents were, but a lot of people say it was ergotized beer, which is like a prototypical um, LSD. And anyone who was anyone in ancient Greece would have went there, like Plato, Pythagoras, and you can only go once, once in your entire lifetime, and they'll drink this uh, beverage. And then uh, have visions, and uh, I've got a quote from Pindar, which is uh, who is an ancient Greek uh, poet, and it's what he had to say about the Eleusinian mysteries. Blessed is he who has seen these things before he goes beneath the earth, for he understands the end of mortal life and the beginning of a new life given of God. So, 
shout out to uh, to Pinny D. Um, and you know, d- despite this, despite these uh, these these things being so ubiquitous um, throughout the world and time, uh, someone somewhere who you've never met and in all likelihood will never meet has uh, has deemed it taboo. You know, has has uh, has said it's forbidden. No, you're not allowed. So you you know you as a as a creation of nature, you're not allowed to interact with another creation of nature, because um, well, well yeah, they don't really have have very good reasons for it. Uh, they say uh, you know well someone once upon a time had a bad time taking it, so. Therefore, one hundred percent of people cannot take it because you know that's how uh, how life obviously works. Um, so yeah, I wanted to uh, to kind of elaborate more on that on that Pindar quote, and uh, and as this is the maiden voyage for the podcast, I thought it's probably a good idea to you know talk about my maiden voyage with psychedelics and. Uh, and I'm hoping, to be honest, I can kind of use it as a segue um, to elaborate on that quote. But it, it, I, I'm kind of just winging this whole thing, so there's there's no guarantee for that. It, it may well just be a, a labyrinthine tale. Uh, but you know, if you're willing to be my minotaur, uh, I'm sure the 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 uh, the rewards shall be manifold if you endure for the next hour or so. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to bring it back. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I was a a delinquent teenager, and I was always like looking for like new drugs and everything. And I was always fascinated by uh, by psychedelics, everything that I'd heard of them. I mean, my alarm clock at the time, just to give you an indicator of how much of a character I was, my alarm clock was. Uh, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. So, you know, I was already pre- a pretty psychedelic chap. But I was looking for LSD for the longest time. I-, I couldn't find any. And then someone from school got in touch with me, uh, known as a metalhead. And uh, they said, hey, I heard you're looking for some LSD. It's five pounds. Come to town and I'll meet you there. So, so I was like, okay, I'm going to acquire all of the riches I-, I can, which is like 30 pounds or whatever from... Um, from like birthdays and Christmases, and I was like, I, I got six tabs, so I got the bus into town. I met up with this uh, this metalhead, and uh, and I started asking him about it, and he was like telling me, you know, oh, you just like put it on your tongue, and within like forty five minutes, just nibble it off bit by bit, and uh, and yeah, it should be kosher, and and I said, oh, can you tell me uh, what the effect will be, and he said. Well, in the past, my head felt as though it was made of stone, but now it feels as though it is made of a fine wood. But beware, for the acid I've bestowed you with is incredibly potent, so you must only take half a tab. So I said, sound, and uh, and moseyed on down back to my crib. Um, the plan for the night was to take it with a friend of mine and have a have a sober babysitter, then document the effects in a very Huxley-esque fashion. 
you know, because I was very much into Aldous Huxley and Timothy Leary and Ralph Metzger and all them quags. And our babysitter was supposed to be a friend of mine called Gay Ben because uh, they were the most sober friend I knew. The the name was Gay Ben, but they weren't a homosexual. He, 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 had a, he had a girlfriend. He just liked to lick his fingers a little bit too long after eating a packet of crisps, if you know what I mean. And uh, and he was a year younger than us, so so he would have been like fifteen at the time. But he was uh, he was years ahead of his time. The the problem with being years ahead of your time, though, is that you know your your teenage years are when a <laughs> when a midlife crisis strikes. So he'd wear a pink scarf and, and go uh, prime Arnie, uh, and would like swing it around like a Morrissey's microphone. While while singing songs in, in an operetta fashion, but uh, but then a the friend I was supposed to take it with uh, pussied out, so I had to find somewhere else. And I texted a guy I'd known for honestly about two weeks, uh, who for the purposes of this story shall go by the name of um, Damien. So we spoke weed a couple of times together before. I asked if he was game to come over to mine and take some acid. He said he was. So, you know, the night was on. When Damien arrived, we put a tab of acid on our tongues. Or half a tab of acid, I should say, as as prescribed. And then uh, and then he said, "What? what is it, by the way? Like, he had no fucking clue what it was. Um... So we had to go, went on an outing to the chippy to get some chips and I told him all about it along the way. And he goes, oh yeah, it sounds boss there. So now all we had to do was wait for it to kick in and for uh, for Gay Ben to arrive. Oh, I, and another thing actually, and this will sound like b- bullshit, but I promise you that it happened. Damien had put his chips on a plate and there were a, there were a handful of them left over perched upon a futon. And, uh, and I had a cat called Fernando at the time. He, he opened the door, came into the room, jumped on the futon, grabbed the chip with both his paws, then took a bite out of it. And then just ran out of the room. And uh, and we weren't even tripping at this point, but, but this is just an omen for what was to come. Um... Anyway, about an hour passes and, and we still aren't feeling anything. So Damien goes, hey, do you reckon that lad's just a shitbag? We, we should take another one. So uh, yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. So we, we indulge in a full tab. Uh, and once that had been nibbled to oblivion, we decided to take some chairs outside into the garden, chong on some uh, some cigarettes. And uh, and Damien goes, hey, uh, let's just take another tab. Uh, I was thinking, uh, I'm not so sure. And he goes, I- I'll pay you, and and then you'll still have one left for yourself anyway. So I say, yeah, fair point, and I acquiesced. But then the second I put this third tab on my tongue, I just saw a translucent fish swim across my eyeball and thought, oh, it's about to kick off now. You know, it wasn't a it wasn't a tangible hallucination. It was just some rogue light entering my vision but it was the universe letting me know that it had received my passenger fare and then I just heard, I just heard Damon like randomly just like he'd picked up his phone and I just heard like to the right of me uh, 
Hey, uh, Tansy, uh, have you got a 20 bag? Sound, I- I'll be there in 20 minutes. And he just like randomly ordered some weed. And I said, what are you doing, lad? And he goes, I'll pay. Uh, that's not the issue. The issue is you're going off script. Plus, I'd rather not walk through Toxif when I'm tripping on acid for the first time, if I'm completely honest. Uh, Toxif's like the ghetto, for those that don't know. I suppose realising this podcast is a pretty internationalist endeavour. I think, uh, I think Harlem, an incredibly, an incredibly urban area. Uh, anyway, I, I called Gay Ben, said there was a change of plan. We were now going to go to the off-licence because we needed some ciggies for the weed. Pick up the weed then knock a gay Ben's house, as it was like all in the same area, you know, like it's all on the way. And then uh, would all all three of us would walk back to mine together. And uh, gay Ben said it sounded wunderbar. So, you know, that was the plan. And, uh, and we, you know, as we started our voyage, I, uh, I re-entered my house. Uh, but it started to look as though I was like inside of a Picasso picture. Everything was just like melting around me. Um, and, and as I moved, it felt as though I was looking through a peephole. There was some like curvature lagging behind every image, somewhat. You know what I mean? And uh, and then as as I went upstairs to get my shoes, I remember hear, I hear Damien go, "Ah, no, no, I, I don't like this. I don't like this." So uh, not gonna, not gonna lie, I was pretty overwhelmed myself to begin with. At least for the first minute or so, you know. But you know what was overwhelming about it? Uh, you, you have certain preconceptions before you've taken LSD before. That what will happen is you will see a hallucination that evidently isn't uh, surrounded by the usual environment. So, so let's say you see a random hallucination. I don't know, uh, uh, Greta Thunberg being QP'd by a pack of rabid orangutans. And uh, and if you were to look to the right, it would be completely normal. And if you were to look to the left, it would be completely normal. Uh, the vision would only exist where you saw it going, mm, Greta-like. But what actually happens on acid is, is you look to the left, everything's on acid. You look to the right, everything's on acid. You splash water in your face, the water's on acid. Everything is on acid. Your eyeballs are on acid, uh, and if you if you've taken acid before, you might be thinking, yeah, of course. <laughs> Do you have an additional chromosome? What the fuck? But uh, but you just forget that you never knew that until the first time you take an acid. Um, that there's no respite. You're just in a different world now. Um, so after a minute or so, a thought came into my head that said, you know, don't be a little bitch. Uh, don't panic, persevere. And so I, uh, I returned downstairs with a smile wide across my face and, and saw Damien holding up my mum's laptop. It was an Apple laptop and he was, uh, he was wide-eyed saying, what? Aliens definitely built this. Aliens defo built this. Uh, and, and then he put it in next to the charger you know, like aligned it with the charging port and it, it sucked it inside. And he would, did you see what I just did then? Which, uh, in his defence, uh, magnetism is a pretty uh, trippy thing. But I said, nah, lad, it's a, it's, it's a magnet. 
come on, we gotta we gotta go uh, go now and uh, you know meet our uh, our connection or we'll be late. So we go outside and the sky's just like uh, a strange purple and orange, uh, a, a midnight apricot, um, and I'm starting to see like hieroglyphics appear on the walls outside. All the while, I can I can hear Damien next to me just huffing and puffing. But you know, I'm just I'm just mesmerized by everything I'm seeing. Uh, I look at the hedges and every flower is just brimful with verve and luster, unlike any other day. And uh, I, I think is it only beautiful because I'm I'm under the influence, or is this beautiful every day? I just don't pay attention. You know, Keats Keats was musing amongst amongst the. Uh, the chrysanthemums, the petals were reciting Petrarch, and every time I, I put my foot on the pavement, I would feel the cement dip a little bit, as if I was walking on sand. And with every footstep, a footprint was left behind. And I thought, ah, uh, you know, much like life, I I wonder what people will think of the shape of my foot, uh, and how long it will remain visible to the world. You know, and uh, and then as we got to the to the end of my road. Damien stopped walking, put his hand uh, on on my chest to stop me, looked around, and starts going, Nigga! Nigga! And I thought, shit, I don't know him well enough. <laughs> I don't know him well enough. And he goes, run. So then we start running, and a, a car comes, you know, instinctively, I don't want to see someone scream wished by a uh, by a motor vehicle so I jumped in his way to like save uh, save his life and he goes you're not gonna hurt me are you which I felt a bit rude to be honest because I haven't really done anything at that point to make him think that especially considering all the fucking all all the bullshit he just pulled so then uh, so you know we're screaming at each other and uh, and a storm breaks out it starts raining it was it was like a movie I felt like uh, Kate Winslet and I'm just going, what the fuck do you think you're doing? And he, he, and he goes, uh, this is what a night of acid's all about. Uh, you didn't even know what it was until fucking like two hours ago. You know, so uh, so we come to an agreement that, that uh, neither of us is going to kill each other. And you know, we shake on it. But uh, in my head, honestly, I'm just thinking it's going to be a miracle if both of us make it out of this night alive. Not going to lie. So, uh, so we continued the Odyssey. Honestly, I don't remember what happened. Uh, maybe we ran the entire entire way, or or we teleported. But I felt like we got to Smithdown Road in a, in about like a minute from that point. Uh, when we got there, we couldn't tell what color the traffic lights were. So Damien goes, "Well, we need to get from A points to us to B points across the road, and goes and avoid C, then points to all like the moving traffic." And goes, bail! And then so we fucking run across the road and all the cars are beeping at us. We're laughing hysterically like lunatics. Uh, and, and then, you know, we get the cigarettes and I suddenly just become just very uh, appreciative. I think about uh, how ungrateful I've been in my life for not being thankful for every time I've crossed the road and not being mowed down. About how uh, fortunate I am to be able to kill myself with these cigarettes every day. Now I now now I'll really savor and appreciate them, and then 
and then we got to the alleyway to uh, to meet Tansy, and and Tansy's a real character too, by the way. And there's a lot of bullshit feminist heroines you'll see pushed in film and television. Angelina Jolie, Roundhouse, and a Navy Seal, etc. But but she's legitimately magical. The Boudicca of the Bood, the Chimp Tansy, uh, as I would call her. Um, one time she one time she choked down to a couple of guys with a belt. That tried to steal a weed. Uh, you know, she used to deliver weed on a bicycle and sell five bags, which was five pounds worth of weed, which is which is un- unheard of. And uh, and they'll be packed too. And um, I remember me and my brother got like four joints from one one time. Uh, anyway, after a year of us buying weed from her every day, she got herself a BMW. And on her first day of having it, she crashed it into the side of the Magical Mystery Tour bus, which is like the uh, the Magical Mystery Tour bus is like a a, a tour bus in Liverpool that goes to all, all the Beatles sites. And she got baked and crashed it into the side of it at like ten miles per hour on uh, on Penny Lane. And uh, and what's interesting about that story is that not only did Tansy tell us about it, coincidentally we met a Japanese tourist. Who just happened to be on that bus that told us about it, and then didn't know we knew anything about Anzi. And we also coincidentally met the the driver of the magical mystery tour bus that also told us the same fucking story. So we heard the same story from three different perspectives. Uh, a little uh, little fractal tale. You won't hear that anywhere other than uh, Pab's Pabulum. Welcome to the show. So uh, so yeah, she always just had a story to tell you whenever you'd meet her. And uh, I'm not gonna lie, sexy. She was actually pretty sexy, and uh, yeah, I don't think I, I don't, think, don't think I ever made a, a purchase that was absent of a semi. If I'm completely honest, a beautiful woman. But uh, but anyway, I was making a transaction for the weed, and all of a sudden, all of the walls and houses around me started to disappear, and I began to, began having like a, a Buddha-like revelation, you know. I started to think that if the physical world must be uh, illusory in order for that to happen, in, or, in, in order for that to happen, uh, for solidity to just vanish, it must uh, have always just been illusory to begin with. I'd, I'd broken the matrix. I'd, you know, become aware of Maya. But, uh, you know, then when, it, then when I got the weed and we were walking back up the road, Damien starts going... Hey, is this Gibbo's car? I go, what? Who the fuck's, who the fuck's Gibbo? And he goes, and me mate Gibbo, we'll get there faster if we take his car. And he just starts elbowing the window of this random car. So I say, it's 100% not Gibbo's car. He goes, it, it is, he won't mind if we take it for a spin. So I managed to pull him away from it. And finally, after all these fucking like alarms start going off. And uh, we were about five roads from Gay Ben's house at this point. And every single road we went to, he starts going, this is Gibbo's car, this. And starts, like, breaking out the elbows again. He gets hallucinating police cars, too. And, and I try to run. They, they know we're on acid. And uh, I, I was honestly just tired by the end of it. I felt, I felt like I was getting a stitch. So I say, okay, okay, yeah, let, let's chill and have a cigarette to counter all this exercise. Because we're going to be at Gay Ben's in a minute. So we need to act sober when we meet his parents. And uh, and I remember as, as we're outside Gay Ben's house and finishing our bifties. 
I knock on the door, and as soon as Gay Ben's mum answered, Damien just took a final pull of his cigarette and goes, uh, I'm fucked on acid. And uh, Gay Ben's mum just looked at us like she'd been asked to play a game of Peanuts with Django Reinhardt. Just, uh, just a look of condescension and concern with a tinge of sympathy. And she goes, um, would, would you like to come inside? And, uh, and, you know, we got told Gay Ben was residing in his boudoir and got got pointed upstairs. So, so Gay Ben's room is on the top floor in the attic. We walk up to the second floor and Damien's only met Gay Ben once or twice. And so doesn't know he has a little sister. She was maybe 12 at the time. She had, she had a bunch of friends over from the neighbourhood to her who were like 10 years old. And, and he'd also never met Gay Ben's dad. Gay, ben, Gay Ben's dad's another character, but I won't get into it. But uh, yeah, they remind me a bit of Randy Marsh from South Park. Uh, some, someone at work once told him he wasn't allowed to wear his hat at the workplace, so they got into a physical altercation. And for the next five years, he wore a cowboy hat every day just to make a point. Uh, runs the pub quiz, has a moustache, plays the theremin. Uh, anyway, Damien non non knew none of these people. So, uh, so what we saw when we were on the second floor was Gay Ben's little sister come out of a bedroom, followed by five ten-year-old girls and a six-foot-tall mustachioed man wearing a, a cowboy hat. And I turn around and and Damien just collapses to the floor, laughing hysterically, going nah. <laughs> and it, it dawned on me he thinks he's just hallucinating pedophiles <laughs> you know gay Ben's dad seen weirder things than this so just like shrugs because shrugs his shoulders and just like steps over him and Damon's looking up at me going are they real are they real oh like, yeah lad it's just his sister so, uh, so yeah, we go up to Gay Ben's room, get a little knock. Gay Ben, uh, salsa dances to the door. Cha, 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 cha. And, uh, and goes, uh, yes, the boys. I don't know if you've ever been to, uh, to Gay Ben's bedroom before, but it's, uh, it's a psychedelic place. You know, the first thing you, you see when you walk in, there's a giant Cuban flag on the wall. He's not Cuban. He's not gay. He's not Cuban. Uh, but then he had, he had a green paper mache mask uh, protruding out of his wall. Looked like the mask, you know, like starring uh, Jim Carrey. So he made him bin that promptly. Um, then he went out to the room to reassure his mother he's heterosexual or, or whatever. So we just started looking around his room and we found a, a little mahogany treasure chest thing. We, we opened it up. And at the very top, there was just a green hand puppet with three eyes, a white shirt, a black tie, black pants, business casual. So I was like messing around with it, and at one point it starts waving at me. And I'm like, I'm creeping myself out here, you know, better, better take my hand down to the puppet. Then I realised my hand isn't even in the puppet. It was just fucking, it was, you know, it's like fucking... Uh, Toy Story or some shit, just levitating and waving at me, and then uh, so then I gave it to Damien, who decided to christen him as Mister Acid, and for the rest of the night, he just had this hand puppet that was like his 
the other half of a split personality and spoken in third person, of course, just uh, saying whatever he was really thinking. Mr. Acid isn't feeling very welcome. And uh, and at one point, the incense in Ben's room made us think it was on fire as well. Damien started trying to write with it. So then Ben ushered us back out onto the street, you know, just to, uh, to get us to safety. And, uh, and almost immediately, as soon as we got to the top of Ben's road, I hear, uh, hey, this is Gibbo's car, this. We'll get there faster if we take Gibbo's car. You know, that old chestnut. Uh, but as he's winding up an elbow, we see an old school friend of ours, Jack Williams. And, uh, and Gay Ben says to him, hoping for some sober assistance, uh, uh, hey man, uh, he's trying to steal a car. Uh, do you think it's a good idea? And, uh, and Jack Williams just looked Damien dead in the eyes and said, do it. And then just walked away, you know, which amused me greatly, but it left us in a bit of a pickle because now Damien thought it was three against two, including Mr. Acid's vote. But, uh, but anyway, when we got to the top of the road, we made the executive decision to go the longer way back and walk up a road with no parked cars to get rid of Gibbo for the night. So, uh, so now the voyage, voyage was in full swing, and I'm just chain smoking. Uh, so is Damien, and I'm commenting on how uh, how the cigarettes are bending. You know, Damien's behind me going spina bifida. Uh, Gay Ben's breaking out his repertoire, and I, I'm just fucked at this point, honestly. That's what's that's what's going on. That's what's going on in my in my head. In my head, I'm just I'm just I'm just fully encompassed in uh, trying to make it home alive. You know, I'm thinking, oh, by the, by the time I finish this one, I'll be by the park. Then if I smoke another one, I'll, I'll be near the top of my run. If I smoke another one, I'll definitely be home by then. You know, just three more cigarettes, then we'll be home and then I can relax and, you know, the night can finally begin then. And that's what I'm doing, just focusing on smoking. Now, and each pull would decrease the amount of footsteps we have left. Uh, you know, eventually, we made it back to, to my front door. And then, uh, and then I took my key out, <laughs> but as I attempted to put it in the door, it just bent. And so I, I turned to Ben and said, what kind of men who stare at goat shit is this? You know, what what purpose does a key have being flexible? Uh, and, and so then Damien had a go, and he had previous, you know, fucking Magneto. And he had the same problem with bending and averting the keyhole. So after five minutes, we just told Ben he had to open the door for us. Uh, and obviously he just opened it immediate, immediately without any problem. But uh, then I felt wise for having a sober babysitter with us. You know, it could could have been an awkward conversation with with the locksmith otherwise. So so now we were finally home and I, I felt such an intense relief because we, we were soaking wet. I should say because, I say, but we were soaking wet, and uh, and it was just pissing down outside, you know, raining men. So at this point, I said, "Okay, I'm uh, I'm just gonna go upstairs and get a towel." And uh, when I got to the top floor, I suddenly saw a like a white light, you know, and I, I just kind of like left my body. Uh, I saw this white light, brighter than a thousand suns, and it said to me. This is where you were before you were born, and this is where you'll come when you die. Now, how would you like to spend your life? I want to be a, a musician. You will master all the arts, 
You can do it and I believe in you, but you must believe in yourself and never forget why you came here in the first place. Why did I come here? You came to bring peace to the world. But how? Through the cultivation of virtue, there is no other way. And that was all that was said. The whole thing lasted maybe 10 seconds. And maybe you're thinking uh, there was nothing profound about what was said there. You know, nothing Nothing Will Smith hasn't told us already. But it, it was the most profound experience of my life. Uh, even up till now too. You know, the, and, and the most beautiful. For, for the first time in my life, I believed in myself. I, uh, you know, my, my life had a, had a purpose. Death was something I had no need to fear anymore. I had experienced love in its purest form. The most intense love from an earthly relationship was a billionth of the love I uh, felt in their light. I'd interacted with what felt like omnipotence. I knew everything was going to be fine in the night. And now for the first time I decided I was going to be a better person. I got towels and dry clothes for my guests, a hairdryer. Uh, I decided it's my duty to ensure they feel the warmth of my hospitality and that we should uh, celebrate my rebirth with a cup of tea. But, uh, But when I got back downstairs, Gay Ben had a terrified look on his face. Uh, Damien's just been terrorising him with more antics, so I reminded uh, Damien that he needed to roll the weed, and and I go to the kitchen and pop the kettle on with Gay Ben. After it's boiled, I ask him if he wants sugar in his tea, and his usual response would be, uh, no man, I, I take it bareback. But uh, I vividly remember on this night, he said, uh, fuck it. Give me half a sugar, rock and roll, man. Uh, and then as I went to get a spoon, Damien returned. And I was thinking, no, that was fast. And uh, he just put the entire 20 bag into one joint. And and as I reached for the spoon, he goes, hey, do you reckon we can bend these? So the next thing you know, we're trying to bend spoons with our minds on this Yori Geller vibe. I mean, I've already failed in my second chance in life because Gay Ben's finishing off the tea as per while me and Damien are fully immersed in our spoon bending, yielding no results. But I I had a tap where you you wouldn't twist it, you would pull it down to make water come out. And And then I looked at it for a second and it went... Like a Persian baby and just turned upside down. And that actually happened. Like, you can speculate that maybe it was some uh, frosty pipes or whatever, but the tap was upside down for years after that night. Anyway, so we ended up going outside after that. Damien literally had two pulls, so I basically chonged an entire 20 bag to myself. And then Gay Ben immediately goes, I think I might uh, hit the hay, man. What do you mean? You know, uh, I'm going to stroll on up the wooden hills to Bedfordshire. No, 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 I know what you mean. I'm saying you've just got here. I just smoked a 20 bag of Tansy's Finest and I'm on two and a half tabs of acid.
you've had half a teaspoon of sugar, you don't have the strength to stay awake for 20 minutes. Dude, Gay Ben was the worst babysitter, actually, now that I think about it, because I remember the walk of two, he kept wiggling his fingers in front of my face, going, is this tripping you out, man? Like, your face is melting, and you've got eight arms, your fingers aren't doing shit, squire. And uh, and also, when, when the kettle was boiling, and Damien was rolled in the spliff, I said to him, hey, um, I know I'm on acid, but I think Damien might be legitimately crazy. And instead of trying to reassure me or anything, he just went, yeah, man, it's uh, it's pretty concerning. <laughs> so, anyway, Gabe Ben went straight to bed, uh, and we switched the TV on, and it's just a serial killer going, uh, first I enjoyed seeing the fear in their eyes as I raped them, then I would cut them into a thousand pieces, then I would lick my lips and revel in eating them in front of their children. And now all these fucking David Icke flies just started appearing from the fifth dimension, and I went, changed the channel, and, and looking, uh, I just heard back, Oh, well, this is Mr. Acid's favourite programme. And, uh, oh, for fuck's sake. You know, so the night went on and I was just, just tripping for like the next two days and uh, and eventually started to think maybe I'd forgotten how to sleep because the things I'd seen were just so crazy. Uh, I thought, you know, it wouldn't be possible. I'd just be an insomniac, um, forever trapped in this lunatic state. But of course I did eventually whilst watching Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and woke up feeling splendid. Splendid and foolish, but... Uh, yeah, so, so there's a lot of revelations from that whole night, of course. But the biggest one actually came after, because before that night I was a militant atheist. Which I discovered once you've had an out-of-body experience, you're not really allowed to be anymore. Uh, you get excommunicated pretty quickly. You know, because uh, I thought that the world would want to know all about my epiphanies. But when I, when I told them about the out-of-body experience... They just angrily said, oh, it's just chemicals in your brain. Which, firstly, is just complete dismissiveness. Um, and secondly, is a weird thing to be dismissive about because it would be no less incredible. You would have found not only an absolute cure for depression, you would also be able to conjure at will the same encounter that's integral to every religion on the planet. And as they're all anti-theists, I'm speaking as a former member of the religion here, they're all anti-theists no matter what they tell you. You know, they could, they could explain and uh, debunk God once and for all. Not only that, they could explain the problem of consciousness entirely or, or found a major key in that discovery. So there's so many reasons to take it seriously, but they never do. Uh, and the reason for that is atheism is just a religion too. Uh, and that is what I realised as a result of that night. Uh, it's a religion that believes only the material exists and ever can exist. That, that everything must have a material explanation, which is why science, the study of the material world, is their god. And scientists, their unquestionable priesthood. And I think a lot of people have become red pill to, to that since uh, all the COVID bullshit. But this is the revelation I had back then, uh, after my first acid trip when I was 16. So, 
this is why there's a hostile reaction when you present some so-called phenomena like a out-of-body experience to an atheist because it challenges their worldview and threatens their entire identity with death and atheists are, are terrified of death uh, and you know what's the difference between a physical death and the death of your identity if you believe your identity is all you are so even though it's dismissiveness uh, <laughs> let's answer them anyway uh, just a thoroughly burst uh, bubble of bullshit uh, and, and I want to be known that I actually love science real science I do actually pursue the truth I'm fascinated by the anatomy and the brain but this is just dismissiveness from them and, and it's not a sincere pursuit uh, for truth whatsoever so you know I, I'd say to them okay well what chemicals are they and, and you'll actually get a different answer depending on the person some people will say LSD well I can show you thousands of examples throughout history of people documenting this exact same experience prior to the existence of, of, of LSD, prior to the invention of LSD. So that's balderdash. Uh, and then others will say serotonin. Uh, equally, I can show you the presence of serotonin in millions of individuals that have never had this experience. So, you know, they're just in a brain chemistry cult. Uh, but if you really want to play with them, you can say with whatever chemical they tell you it is. Okay, and how does that chemical manifest that particular vision in the seer's eyes? Explain to me clearly and succinctly how that happens. And, and how and why does it always bring the message of peace and love? And, uh, and their answers would be hilarious because they've got no fucking clue. They've never they've never investigated it, so their answers are always um, cringe. Ninety nine times out of a hundred, they will just do a one eighty and say that they don't know. At which point, you can point out how peculiar it is that they came at you with that arrogance ten seconds ago. You know, and arrogance and atheism always go hand in hand. By the way, but uh, but, but as I said, this isn't something they've investigated. Most don't have the balls to experience it. And those that do, those that sincerely just want the truth, will just become me. It's, it's like it's a bit of a catch twenty two, uh, actually, because no nobody that's had this experience comes back and just goes like, "Oh yeah, I've had it. It's just uh, chemicals in the brain." You know, it, it, it's the the scientist chums that will tell them like, "Oh, it's just chemicals in your brain." You know, anyone that's had the experience will never say it's chemicals in the brain, and those are never that won't have the experience, will always just say it's chemicals in the brain. So, anyway, if we want to know what this antibody experience is, we can't depend on atheists or scientists to tell us. Because, you know, people who aren't willing to have the experience themselves um, and aren't willing to find the truth will only answer with dismissiveness. Well, we should just dismiss them. Yeah. So, what could it be? Uh, this light of love that tells you to bring peace. Well, maybe it's the devil. <laughs> you know, because why not start big? And uh, and I say this because many religious fanatics have made me aware of the as a Bible quote, and I'm paraphrasing, but they essentially say things like. 
the devil shall reveal himself in the light. I think it's in Corinthians, maybe Matthew or something. Uh, and I also think these people are just as atheist as the atheists, by the way. There's nothing spiritual about them whatsoever. Uh, they've just reduced God to being nothing more than a character in a book. Uh, rather than the creator of them and the entire cosmos. Instead of using the, the God-given gifts of reason and logic, they just regurgitate scripture. Scripture that could be uh, translated and interpreted a thousand different ways, by the way. Like, like the quote they, they used to suggest the sounds about experience and psychedelics or the devil and whatever. Um, I agree with it. I see the devil presenting themselves as light all over the world right now. I think you should always be sceptical of someone that tells you they're a good or perfect person. Uh, but that's just one interpretation. So, you know... Let, let's address their interpretation, which says uh, says the exper- this experience is the devil. Well, okay. Let's uh, let's just put ourselves in, in in the devil's shoes for a second, shall we? Minions. I have gathered you here to discuss the pain and mischief you've wrought on humanity. Astaroth, we shall start with you. Possess the body of a pit bull, tuck a shit on the floor, I abide. <laughs> that is both ghastly and fiendish. Well done. I expected no less from you, Astaroth. And you, Zavirax, what mayhem did you inflict? Well, master, I put pins on all the parents' chairs in Portugal, then their bums went ouchie, and they shouted at their children and made them cry. (laughs) One time, a grandma sat down and never sat up again. Pin fright made her go long sleep. I hope they set an alarm clock. I can see you've been reading my mischief manual. Will you return and take a Polaroid for me with your balls in her mouth? Yes. 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 And you, Tinkerbell, What kind of menacing havoc did you bestow to the world above? I appeared as a light. A light? What kind of light? A blinding light. A light that made him prematurely ejaculate. A radioactive light that gave them cancer. A light of love. You did what? I told them to be a better person, to spread the importance of family and cultivating virtue to bring peace. Their depression was completely cured. (laughs) Hail Satan. Tinkerbell, do you not remember the pain of being forced to dance on hot coals around the maypole while your intestines were tied to the cursed tree? 
Did you forget the agony of having your testicles stapled to the queen of a nest of Africanized bees? No, please, not again. No, no, no. This time you deserve something far worse. Bring in Nishkumar. No, anything but Nishkumar. So we can pretty confidently dismiss the uh, the schizo fanatics along with the atheists. Well, how about God? Is this light of love God? For the first few years after having the experience, uh, this is what you're absolutely convinced of it being. And, and I think it takes many years of sobriety to take a step back and look at it philosophically like I'm doing now. In this worldview, you see yourself as belonging to one universal consciousness, and this consciousness permeates all matter in this illusory physical world that gives us the illusion of separation. You know, a a way of thinking of it is that this consciousness is like an ocean, and each of us uh, as individuals are just waves where we appear to be separate, but we all come from the same source, and this is the source of consciousness itself. Uh, our brains are just the receivers of this consciousness and not the emitters of it. There's a, there's a school of uh, Hindu philosophy called Advaita Vedanta, and they, and they believe pretty much this, that uh, Brahman, the ultimate reality, is one and the same with Atman, the soul, and the physical world, Maya, is uh, just illusory. We are all this one light of love, one consciousness, uh, and they believe this is is actually the ultimate reality. Now, I don't have anything to disprove this. It could be the truth. Um, and I'm not here to change anyone's beliefs. But there are a couple of problems that arise from having this worldview. The first problem is that it brings into question your role in the story of this world, your significance, because... There are a lot of prophecies in the world of a salvific figure that comes to usher in an age of peace. You know, Kalki, Jesus, King Arthur. And you could literally be God incarnate in the eyes of some people. And the entire fate of the world rests on your shoulders alone. But if you're not believed... Uh, particularly by followers of of Abrahamic religions, you are the devil incarnate, uh, the Antichrist. So, you know, no pressure. Um, Of course, you'd also have to be ignorant of the thousands of people throughout history to make this claim, the millions of people to have also seen this light. And, uh, And in fairness, this has never been a problem for the Eastern religions, but... In the West, even this might land you in hot water to to say there's nothing special about you or anyone else, uh, that we all have this light of love within us. Uh, someone someone might get angry and say, ah, what is this Gnostic skullduggery, you know, and, uh, and, and burn you at the stake like you're a Cathar. But, uh, but a, an even bigger problem than this arises, uh, uh, and that's the problem of evil. Because there wasn't a minutiae of malevolence within that light, yet we live in a world with war and rape and famine and Jedward. 
and and throughout the ages people have tried to explain this away through all sorts of mental acrobatics one of these uh, people was Empedocles don't know if you know about uh, Empedocles don't know if you know about this crazy little batch crazy batch he's um he was a pre-Socratic uh, uh, poet, a philosopher, uh, and he had a theory of matter, a uh, cosmogony, that the presence of life only exists when there's a contention between the two cosmic forces of love and strife, which is like a chaos. And so the universe moves through a cycle of being uh, a pure domain of love, uh, with no life existing, uh, to life existing as a contention between love and strife begins, and then back again to no life existing in the pure state of chaos, and the cycle just repeating. Uh, there's also something called the sphere of Empedocles, which says that um, in this worldview that the, the universe, in its most primordial form, uh, had all of the elements in existence, uh, all the elements in chaos, and um, and they were all contained in a sphere, and that the most dominant force within the sphere that kept everything united was love. Uh, he also came up with theories about uh, the origins of humans that contained the idea of mutations, so almost like a uh, like a rudimentary precursor to a nat- natural selection. Fascinating stuff. But what's really interesting. Is this uh, Paraloka uh, killed himself by jumping in a volcano? You know, fucking uh, skinny dipping with uh, Dr. Evil in Mount Etna to prove his immortality to his disciples. And you know what this makes me think? Why is this volcano not banned? It, it It is clearly dangerous. Uh, does our government not care about protecting us? Uh, every person on the planet should be banned from going to Sicily because Mount Etna is in Sicily and Empedocles decided to jump in that one time. So now everyone might jump in. There's no other possible explanation or solution uh, that is that is completely reasonable. Uh, anyway, Empedocles has been uh, mythologized somewhat. There's a there's a uh, there's a story that the uh, volcano spat out one of his uh, his bronze sandals just to show that he was he was full of shit. In the end, uh, um, and and a second century uh, satirist and all around mad lad uh, Lucian. Uh, wrote a little comedic dialogue called uh, Icaromanippus, where instead of dying, the volcano erupted, and uh, though it singed him a little bit, it sent him to the moon, and he uh, continued living uh, living his life there. But the most uh, fascinating element about Empedocles to me is that myths were posthumously uh, uh, attributed to him, like that he could uh, he could control the wind and the rain, for example, and. Um, and again, I'm not. I'm not here to change anyone's beliefs, and I'm not saying I don't believe in miracles. I mean, I know the name Mariana Cordoba, 
you know, uh, if if you're confused by that, then uh, do do search on Google Images um, Mariana Cordoba Anaconda, and uh, and you know I think all of life is miraculous. I, I, if this existence we have now is possible, anything is. You know, if God has the power to do this, I think God has the power to will anything into existence at any moment. But uh, but it's interesting to note that when somebody uh, espouses a philosophy that says love is all and love's, love flows through all, m- uh, miracles in the physical world are, uh, are attributed to them. It's interesting to me. It makes me think that perhaps this is because most people have only experienced the physical world. Uh, so for someone to give profound wisdom that so few people discover in life, uh, they think, yeah, it's not enough because it's just a thought, a philosophy on, on metaphysics. So they have to have done something nobody else has done in the physical world too because because the the, the message of love is meaningless to the materialist as love is divine and beyond physicality, you know, and perhaps this is what hap- has happened with uh, with other people that have had miracles uh, attributed to them. Uh, anyway, other people try and explain away the duality by saying things like, oh, uh, you have to have the bad to know what the good is. You know, uh, I think the, uh, the great Alan Watts uh, subscribed to that, he said that. And others say things like uh, uh, good and bad uh, don't exist at all, but are just constructs of the brain. And and others will say that it relates to free will, and uh, and so you have to be given the choice to to do good or bad in order to have freedom at all. Uh, these are all explanations, and perhaps one is the truth. Uh, I must say uh, there, there are other more like a rigid. Uh, views views of this uh, dualism, you know that the physical is is uh, evil, and the, uh, the the you know we're kind of incarcerated here and all that kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of religions have subscribed to that in the past, and uh, I must say I'm, I'm less convinced by that as time goes by uh, by the idea of a rigid duality because it feels like um, there must be a communication between the benevolent and the malevolent. And the physical and the non-physical, because there's beauty in the physical as well as all the horrors. So, if you're one of those folks that uh, that think the material is evil, well, de- death is built into our physical forms. It-, it is inevitable and unavoidable. So, you'll someday be relinquished from it. If the physical world was purely the domain of the devil, it seems a little strange that death would be built into it. Uh, and also, you know, where we have the capacity to love and laugh and transcend the physical whilst being in the uh, material realm. But uh, but but anyway, what what else could it be? Uh, well, perhaps it's not God, but perhaps it could be a God, a lesser God that isn't the ultimate God, or maybe even just an aspect of God, because you know perhaps the dualism as we experience it, uh, it, it is the highest form of God that we can experience as people, perhaps. But maybe there's a whole pantheon of gods. And so they're not the ultimate God. And whenever I think of God, I always think, just what's the ultimate one? Like, what created that? What created that? What created that? What, where does everything spring from? That's what I think when I think of God. And and then perhaps um, uh, 
it's just uh, too complex to ever know. You know, it, and I think that this is what Muslims believe also. And I, I, I kind of like veer closest to this in my, my views on, on God, I think. I think maybe it's just so complex we'll never know. Maybe, maybe that's uh, the case. And maybe, you know, whatever these kind of elements are is just what we're supposed to know for now. You know, but, but beyond that, uh, it could be just unfathomably complex. Um that we'll, we'll, we may never understand God in its uh, ultimate form. So, uh, so yeah, maybe maybe it's just like a, a, a God on a, on a panting, but not the ultimate. And maybe uh, it could be an aspect of God. Uh, like, um, you know, people say, say uh, the word of God. Uh, I think people will say. And the thing is, also with, uh, with this kind of idea, is that... Uh, um, you can't really know that you know in a very Socratic sense, you know, like you, there's nothing you can actually know. All you know is you know nothing. Is that any any of these ideas I put out now? One of them, and we might have already hit the jackpot already, and we're just like moving on from it, you know. But you can't know you know. You can like even in that state of being where you transcend your body and you're in that state of absolute consciousness. Like, oh, this is the ultimate reality. It's like you maybe they don't know. Maybe there is something even beyond that. Maybe there's something beyond... You know, you can't ever really know. It still requires a level of belief. You still have to believe in something for it to exist. Um, and, um, and yeah, so so that's the thing. It still requires a, a belief for you to say, hey, that's the... Uh, uh, you know, that that's uh, that's for sure the answer. And... Uh, and yes, yeah, so I, I don't think we can can really ever uh, ever do that without uh, without putting some level of uh, faith into it. Um, uh, yeah, and like I say, it could be the word of God, so just just an element, just a creative force of God, but not God in His whole totality. Maybe we don't have the design as humans uh, within us to be able to like see. God in their true form, or feel God in the true. Maybe you know, maybe we would just get like a, a filtration of God, but it's not really God. You know, it's just they're just showing themselves to us in this kind of understandable way. But it actually wouldn't be, we wouldn't be able to fathom it if we we actually uh, saw it. Uh, and another thing I thought about was. Uh, it could be an angel, and I know this sounds like a very weird one, and honestly, I'm not really convinced by it. But I thought it's quite interesting over the years that I, I uh, just like happened to stumble upon this. So I was reading about angels, like the first descriptions of them, and that they're just beings of light, immortal beings of light. That there's no real form that they have. We just think this because of art. Uh, and, and when I, I thought about that, I was like, well, yeah, it is a being of light. It seemed to be an immortal being of light of some sort. So perhaps it could be an angel, some, you know, angel of light. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it didn't explain much about the, like, the realm of, like, you've been here before you would die, you know, and you'll come here. So a lot of that stuff didn't really, uh, you know, just kind of, like, frostbound in, in the works there. But So it's worth mentioning the whole, like, being of light thing. Uh, you know, because perhaps people in the past might have had this experience, and then they say it's an angel, but really, it's it's whatever this is. Um, and and the one I'm actually really most convinced by now is uh, is the idea that this is ancestors. 
this is just our answers, some kind of ancestral guidance. And I know there was nothing really said in the conversation that should have made me think this, but I just intuitively felt it even at the time. There was some kind of connection between whatever this was and my ancestors. Like that I felt it, you know, it's just a real overpowering, in, in, intuitive uh, thing. And uh, and I never really thought or cared about my ancestors before this. It wasn't never a part of my life. It's not really a part of like this, you know, um, kind of monoculture we exist in. No one talks about their ancestors ever. So it's like I don't have any reason to have really thought that or started to care about it. But I did. I started to think about it, and it's really, uh, really quite a good rule of thumb. As a good rule of thumb in life is, don't do anything you can't tell your father about but a lot of us are from broken homes we don't have this uh, luxury and uh, and it's kind of good you think oh well you know if you're meeting your ancestors in your afterlife then it's like well you've got to think like do you want to be doing this thing do you want to be doing nothing because you are going to have to answer to your ancestors you know what and if they are watching over you it's like you know are, are you okay with uh, living how you're living so these kind of things it's a very good uh you know, um, kind of a bit of bit of moral uh, persuasion here, and uh, and uh, and yeah, and then I also start to think about like, yeah, if if I were to die, who would inhabit like a heavenly realm if not my ancestors? Like it must be inha- made up by the souls of my ancestors, you know. Um, and, and even when I started to look into like outer body experience and near death experience, which is what this is, this whole light thing. If you look in near death experiences, you will see it's the same thing. They see a light, and then a lot of them go a bit further, and they said they go into the light, and it, it's it's their ancestors there. And so, uh, so that kind of gives a lot of credence to it. Um, and also, there's just you know, there's more purpose to life when I think about this. Where I think like. This would make more sense if there's some kind of eschatological end game to existence. Then everyone who's ever existed surely has to play a part in that. So it wouldn't really make sense that everyone kind of like goes off into a distant like oh there's a multiverse and there's like lots of different uh, planets and all this kind of stuff and you know everyone's kind of separated. Very and maybe that is is the case also, but it just seems like um, it, it makes more sense to me that everyone who's ever been here plays a role in it and you know you can be guided and you are a, a guider when you die to to who your uh, descendants are so then you're always uh, always playing some kind of a part in uh, in life and it kind of gives more purpose to the idea of like why is does everyone have the desire to uh, to uh, procreate you know and that would make much more sense if, like, okay, we survive. And, 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 you know, and it means this, like, there isn't really a disconnect between the physical and non-physical with this. It's like um, they're kind of one and the same. They are working together. Everything is built for a purpose. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, to kind of throw a bone even to, um, to the materialists out there is that, uh, like, uh, I think uh, Sir Francis Crick... Uh, discovered the, the double helix structure of DNA whilst under the influence of LSD. He saw it in, in a vision. And uh, and I think there could be something to this. I think that there could be something to do with your brain stem and your spinal fluid and, and DNA. And when certain parts of your brain are activated, that you can have access to 
your ancestors, you know, like on a very physical, <laughs> very physical sense, you know what I mean? Like this could be something that should could uh, could be looked into, you know, maybe when we start to use more of our brain, we start to have access to more parts of our brain, that um, this is just something that we all have the capacity to do at all times, that they are literally just in another kind of dimension that exists, uh, you know, in the same place we are now. We just can't really perceive it, but we, we have more access to our brain and we can do it. It's like a, like a TV channel that we just don't have the kind of remote control to switch to yet, you know, but if you access more parts of your brain, then we'd always be in contact with this this uh, realm of our uh, of our ancestors. Because like I say, people will, will say that, on, people are found on a material level, they're like, oh yeah, a bit of like the DNA always survives through you. People are always fine with that, but they just don't like the idea, like maybe it's a little bit more than that. Maybe it's not just like some like ghostly ether of like oh it's this kind of thing. Maybe it's like this is a an access to a a realm where they actually inhabit. This is like a, a, you know the other world that we actually always have access to uh, through our our uh, brainstem, and then we haven't just kind of we haven't really uh, looked enough into it. Uh, and you know. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a combination of uh, of uh, several of these things. You know, perhaps um, perhaps angels are inhabited by the souls of our past ancestors, and and that's what the angels are. Maybe maybe it's like our ancestors are, are what are well are like the metaphysical con- metaphysical constituents of heaven. You know, like they just make up or, or like the word of God, they're a creative force in the universe. Whatever that is, maybe that's ran by souls you know and everyone's souls go into that and make you know it could be like a a wild uh, combination of all of uh, these ideas or or none of them or one of them or you know tell me what y'all think let me know in uh, in the comments below what's the most convincing to you if there's anything that i i uh didn't um propose that you think's a more convincing idea and you know maybe we'll uh we'll we'll get back to this uh at a later date, but there are some uh, flaws with psychedelics and uh, some legitimate criticisms people can have with them. One of the one of the criticisms uh, people have uh, are that they're not a replacement for spiritual um, practice. And let me just say, the most unvirtuous things I've ever done in my life, the worst things I've ever done were after having this experience you know so that's absolutely true you know just because you you have a spiritual experience doesn't mean that you're now like automatically a spiritual person and you're completely cured of all the other fucked up shit you have like no you it's not a it's not a substitute you know uh, you can take as much psychedelics as you like it's like you still have to cultivate the virtue and a part of like you think about the words like cultivate to cultivate virtue implies that you either have no virtue or you lack virtue in some regard. You need to improve you to create virtue in those uh, those areas. So it's like, yeah, you, you can't just take psychedelics and be a spiritual person. It's not a, a substitute. It just kind of tells you, like, hey, here's the answer or, like, uh, gets you onto the spiritual path, I think. Um, which which is, is a praise I would give to because I, I think that as much as uh, sober 
spiritual people can try to uh, to demean psychedelics in in some uh, regard. It's like I, I would say most spiritual people on the planet got onto the path of uh, being spiritual because they take took uh, psychedelics. I don't think that's a real far-fetched claim to make. I think, you know, if not that, then um, they, they've they had them at some point in their life or, like, they understand they're not... There's, like, a crazy separation between psychedelics and spirituality. They're pretty, you know... <laughs> they're, you know, they're not that far far apart. Um, and, and, you know, they, they shouldn't have, like, such a, a rigid uh, divide between the two, I don't think. Uh, and another thing, and, and this is... Um, it to do with that kind of snobbery is that uh, people say you can induce it in a sober state and uh, and I do uh, agree with it in theory in theory I agree like yeah I know you have like cannabinoid receptors and opioid receptors and you can create DMT in your brain and all the rest of it and there's many ways you can like uh, do things you can like chant and you can dance and fast and uh, meditate I think I've had very I would say like psychedelic experience through through meditation there's a lot of power to pranayama a lot of power to uh, or holotropic uh, breathing you know, so like I, I agree, I agree that it's it's better, it's healthier to to be able to induce it in a sober state. But I mean, I say there's there's some snobbery that comes about here. Yeah, I saw I saw a video of um, the Dalai Lama talking about psychedelics. He was like, like you know, why would I take uh, why would I take uh, psychedelics when I could just produce it all in my own brain anyway? And that was kind of his take on it. And uh, and let let me tell you something. Like if you give half a tab to the Dalai Lama, he was going, "What the fuck?" and fucking shit his little robe. That's what he would do. He would take a poo inside of his robe because it's, it's all well and good to say you can like, "Oh, I can go to this place. I can go to all these like uh, limits." like, but you don't know what the limit is without psychedelics. The psychedelics set the bar. For you to go like, oh, do you really think you're going to get beyond that by yourself? It's like, by all means, I think you can. And I think that, you know, it should be pushed. But I also don't believe any of these, like, sober spiritual people. <laughs> I just don't believe them at all. I don't think they're even really that spiritual a lot of the time. And I think, uh, I mean, yeah, the idea of a spiritual leader is a little bit fucking wacky. But, yeah, I mean, it'll blow their mind. They've, they've never experienced anything like it. And, and the other thing, too, is... Um, most people who've taken uh, psychedelics kind of forget that uh, that most people have never had them, you know. And you do forget that, you know. <laughs> it reminds me of a time when I was in China, and uh, a Chinese bird was eating my ass. Just to just to reiterate that, and make make sure the image is clear, Hitung was. Deep inside my ass, uh, you know, my legs were up in the air like they were in imaginary stirrups, and I was living the life of a progressive, empowered man. Uh, while uh, you know, her nose was giving an, an Eskimo kiss to my taint. Anyway, suddenly there was a knock at the door, because you know it's Chinese New Year, and her parents decided to swing by, and give a surprise visit. I swear, I'm without skipping a beat. She got up, answered the door, and said, Ni hao ma! And kissed her dad on the cheek. You know, because just because you've experienced something out of the ordinary, it doesn't mean it wasn't an ordinary day for 99% of people. 
just because you've learned something, because you're, you've seen new information, doesn't mean other people have acquired the same knowledge, especially when that information isn't readily available to people living in this paradigm. Like, so sometimes people need to go out of their way to learn some things in life, like astrophysics or learning how to bake a quiche. But then there's still uh, Rikishi, you know, stink face, and he's never observed a parsec or kneaded pastry, nor is, is he aware of the uh, the Sichuan ship breath that just sullied his cheek. And he's going door to door, handing out red envelopes with a peeking pink eye, oblivious to the appetites of his own offspring. You know, his only daughter, the, the last hope of his entire family's lineage, who once he's gone slips back into bed and returns to her feast. How true. And it's the same with acid. Like, you, you can have the wildest revelations, but the world won't stop spinning. M- most people have their dinner on their mind, and, and they don't care for what you saw when you were on drugs. They just want to get home and swipe right on single mothers on Tinder, or watch Coronation Street. And your epiphanies are just an obstacle and a burden to them. And also, most most people wouldn't even believe half, half it's possible to even experience. Especially not when you paid £5 for it from a man that goes by the name of Chemical Kev, and whose earlobe resembles a kettlebell. Though I'm not great at introductions While the pendulum swings slow I will swallow my reluctance And so, here I go Here I go Here I go, here I go, here I go What's your name, what's your number? Together we can conquer this rock if I put two fucking fingers inside of your pussy And two in your eyes, they call it the spot I would have the whole wide world safe in my hands While the rough seas tremble below We can live long the prosper, baby With my fucking fucking hello And then your eyes will say It will be knowing you So the vision for this segment of the podcast is that I want to hand over the reins to y'all and we're just going to see whatever the fuck comes from that. You know, you can you can write in any question you want each week. Um, whether it's on the topic at hand or just something completely uh, out of left field, and you know you can uh, you can send in a video, send in a meme, uh, have me prank call the Pentagon, whatever you want. This is our interaction here. You know you can just tell me about your day if you want to do that also, and. Um, you know, this is whatever you want the podcast to be for yourself. Like, this is now your podcast. You just, you can puppeteer it in, into whichever direction you choose it to go. We can talk about any topic, or you can discuss anything, watch anything. It, it, it's up to you. We're just going to see uh, the madness 
now of the of the masses <laughs> it's the fun bit but the thing is i feel like i express myself uh terribly in this vision <laughs> in this first week because it's a pretty hard idea to get across i think i first, i think i think people should catch on pretty quick but but yeah and, and if you want to send anything in uh send it to pabspabulum at gmail.com and uh and i'll post about this on my um on my socials at Pab the Crab, if you're not following, I have rejoined Twitter. Uh, so you know, if you, if you're just following me on Instagram and not on Twitter, do get on me because you know I'm making a re- revival. <laughs> I was shadow banned on Twitter. I don't know why. And then I, I fucking I come back and at this point, like I, I may well not be shadow banned. Um, I think I've just like lost all of the people <laughs> that were following me because I just I just departed for a long time. So yeah, I've basically started from scratch. Um, so do do follow me on on Twitter. You know, we're, we're going to take that over by storm. And uh, and yeah, I should probably post a, 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 about uh, this segment of the podcast. But this week I just kind of posted on Instagram, and I'd say it's a it's a hard thing to express what I wanted for it. So all I could do was do like two stories where I, I did um, like one asked me something about psychedelics and the other was uh, just a general Q&A and, and we got some responses to both of them but that's kind of what it is, just a mixed bag of those two things, perhaps I'll figure out a way of of uh, you know elucidating my uh, my vision more clearly in the weeks coming going forward but yeah, so we'll see. We'd get some uh, responses, thankfully, because I was a little bit, you know, I was shitting it a little bit, thinking <laughs> it might be a lonely, a lonely uh, first episode. But so uh, one chap said, "Yes, King, good to see you back." And I should say, some people on social media <laughs> in my circle refer to me as King. And if you are curious as to how a cult begins, you are about to witness a cult form at, at the grassroots level. Because uh, I'm not sure we can do it this episode with the editing, but perhaps next uh, episode uh, we should we should have a hierarchy for these comments. And uh, you know, it, those that refer to me as king will will take priority. So to make a note of that, <laughs> to make a note of that going forward. Um, yes, King. Good to see you back. Good to be back. Um, I have a question for you. How many countries have you travelled to, and which one is your favourite? Now, uh, I know I'm going to sound like an absolute bell end, but there's kind of too many to count. But I, it's not something I can really think of from the top of my head. And for like how many I've been to, because well, I guess you know that's an indicator that I've been to a fair few. Uh, too many to count because uh, yeah but but also like when you're when you're from a, a place I think whatever continent you're from um, you you don't really value the other countries you go to within the continent if that makes sense so so like a lot of European countries are just like it's, you kind of you know you don't even make a mental note of it a lot of the time um, and, and as far as, as favourite goes like countries are kind of too big you know, it's too big of a, a landmass for it to be entirely good. Uh, uh, yeah, like um, I don't really buy like a country's PR. For example, I've been to Thailand. You know, they say they say the uh, the land of smiles, 
the land of crocodile smiles is my verdict on uh, <laughs> I've been there like eight times and um, and yeah I mean I think ultimately a lot of fucking great people are great places but ultimately you know it is a vaginal country and um, and you know a castrated country and there's a lot of issues and and um, but you know, saying that, if I was to talk about it as a whole, because you know we could talk about this like Con Ken, Con Con Ken's a shit hole. I got stabbed in Con Ken, so if I, if I if it has a right to call it a shit hole, it's me. And uh, but you know, then uh, to, to counterbalance that, uh, one of my favorite places in the world is uh, Chiang Mai. Uh, I mean, you know, that's a real, real beautiful city. I've got nothing but nice things to say. So, but you know, they're both within the same country. Uh, and are um, you know two completely different cities, I think, and uh, yeah. So perhaps it might be easier if, if I just think about cities. Uh, Chiang Mai uh, gets an honourable mention. Chongqing from uh, China. <coughs> um, uh, Rome, I, th- I would honestly say, is probably my favourite city in the world because expectations are the harbingers of disappointment. Generally speaking. Uh, you know, you go to a place, you're like, oh, I love that place, I'll go back. And it's never as good as uh, the first time. I think Rome is is one of the only exceptions to this in my life. I went there when I was a kid, you know, and as a kid, I was a real quag for uh, mythology and history and ice cream. So, you know, wow, how could you not love Rome when you're, <laughs> you know, you're into all of those things? But uh, then I went back as an adult, and it's it's just as wondrous now as it was when I was a kid. I, uh, yeah, I absolutely love uh, Rome. I know it's a basic bitch answer uh, to say, but also, yeah, Greece. I'm also a fan of. Um, but ultimately, my, my favourite country is my home country, uh, Albion. And, and it's what happens when you travel to, I find, is that the more places you travel to, the um, the more you kind of like your home country because you start to like see very clearly what your own culture is, what other people's culture, uh, culture is, how they differ. And then, you know, you can never feel alienated uh, when, you know, you understand and know and care about your own culture because you're like, well, you understand the humour, the language, there's no barrier. So, yeah, you just kind of grow to like it, it more and, you know, also the, the, the nature of, of the place and stuff. Um, but saying that, you know, when I say I've been to a lot of countries... There's so many other countries I'd like to to go to. I would honestly like to visit every country on the planet someday. Um, Africa seems particularly appealing appealing to me right now. Same with South America. Before the world, you know, shut down, <laughs> I was uh, I was actually supposed to be in South America. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's so many places I I, I would still love to visit, but. But I think always the answer for the for my favorite will always be the same. It's my uh, home country, Albion, and uh, and particularly from that, I think um, um, I have a soft spot for Wales. My my mum's Welsh, and it's an entire part of my family's Welsh, and uh, you know there's just something special about it for me. Um, uh, like I remember when I was a kid, we'd stay. My granddad had a house in Harlech. And uh, and that's where we're staying. It's just it's just everything there. It's just really, uh, yeah, really uh, beautiful, beautiful uh, place. It's, you know, it's got a castle. It's got a beach. It's got mountains. It's uh, 
you know, small. <laughs> it's kind of that's that's what I kind of like. And uh, and you know, if I was to be made real uh, king, I think uh, I think I would definitely have like a castle in uh, in Anglesey. So uh, so yeah, that's my that's my answer for my favourite. Um, I, I got a, I got another question. To be honest, I got maybe like two or three questions. And they're kind of the same question, so I'm just going to answer answer them all together. Uh, which is, uh, you know, where are you from? Why is your accent so fucked up? <laughs> Why is it so weird? Uh, where in the world are you now? Because you know, I, I'm somewhat of an international man of mystery to people. It seems, um, uh, but you know, well, the answer is Liverpool. I, I think I, I alluded to, to it in the um, in into uh, in the in, in the, the the previous part, um, yeah, yeah, I'm from Liverpool. I, I was raised in a place called Toxteth, uh, 17 Loudon Grove, just off High Park Street, and uh, and I spent half my time there, half my time in in the place I was born, it's the area next to it called Wavertree. I was born 78 Langdale Road. You want to put a plaque there uh, off uh, Smithdown Road. And uh, and you know this being the topic of uh, of psychedelics, is uh, I'll tell you something. Uh, psychedelic. I was I was born in my in my house. You know, and, and I, I'm I'm a home birth and pride uh, proud. You know, <laughs> a home birth and proud. Where, where, where are my homies at? Let me know in the uh, in the comments. But I mean, hospital births are so fucking unnecessary. If if your woman's giving birth in, in a fucking hospital you know you may as well be getting cuckolded you know it's just completely unnecessary uh, i was born at home uh, in 1994 during the world cup you know roberto carlos is um you know curling in a screamer and i'm just you know popping uh, popping my head out and uh and uh, the midwife turned to my mum as, as i was as i was born and uh, I had I had an amniotic sack over my head. It's known as a call, C A U L, I believe. Uh, and you know, it, it's just like one in ten thousand people or something. Like they're just born with a sack, the amniotic sack over them. And um, and you know, well, my mum turned to the midwife, and uh, my the midwife said, "This means he shall never drown at sea." So uh, you know, that's uh, that's that's my origin story. I think that <laughs> yeah, it's very very psychedelic. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I grew up my entire life in Liverpool. Was born there, raised there, lived there my entire life. Um, and you know, I love I love Liverpool, and it's um, uh, it's a special place. And. Um, and with my accent's weird. There's a lot of theories as to what, why my accent could be a little bit fucked up. Because I said my mum's from Wales. She's from Wales. She's a bit um, a kind of posh sounding with a neutral accent. Uh, I also grew up in lodges, and I've had to kind of have to enunciate to foreign lodges when I was a teenager, and that's when I, f I could hear my accent going some somewhat. Uh, like basically just talking to French people the whole time. And then also, you know, you know globetrotting, uh, uh, you know, as we mentioned, uh, I'm quite a globetrotter. And having, a, like, a strong Scouse accent is a pretty difficult thing when you get to, like, China to, to be understood. You know, you have to make some effort 
to uh, enunciate. And again, the irony of that is that maybe people say I sound eloquent, but I also mumble <laughs> still all the time. So I don't, I don't even know if it's very clear uh, my words. But um, yeah, it's an interesting thing, it, like accents as a whole, because even when you, you do go around the world, accents are. Um, can be the, the pride of a place, and that's certainly the case with Liverpool. You know, people are, are proud to have a Scouse accent, um, but also it's like the stronger the accent is, even to the people of the place, it's a sign of stupidity and kind of like being a simpleton. Like you know, if you if you are with Scouse people, and then like one of them has to do an impression of a crackhead or something, they will do a stronger Scouse accent for the crackhead. You know what I mean? So it's like everyone kind of knows, like, there's a balance, you know what I mean? Like, you you have to have the accent, but then not too much. If it's too much, you're probably a crackhead, you know? (laughs) That's kind of where it it goes with with the accents as a whole. But I say, based on the pride thing, I remember being... I say maybe like 16, I could hear my accent going a little bit. And maybe for like a month, I was insecure about it. And I was thinking like, oh, I don't want someone to say I'm a wool. <laughs> you know, which would, again, wouldn't mean anything to, you know, 99% of the planet. But when you're a teenager in Liverpool, like you don't want that to happen. So so I remember like I was like, oh, maybe I would like put on a stronger accent. But then it's like it would just be fake. And that's like the least fucking scouse thing possible because you know it was when you say something to scouts like you're ultimately dealing with the collective there and i think that you can get a lot of fucking simpletons who go like oh i'm scouts i'm scouts i'm scouts like and that's all they care about but it's like if they're simpletons then you know it, it, it for me like there's a, a time to just take a step back then go like well what do you actually think is cool about being scouts for me it's like you know a sense of humor uh could be a thing and um uh, but also it's like it's thinking for yourself you know what I mean it's thinking for yourself and it's being yourself you know what I mean so if you want to know like how <laughs> Scouts are, I could show you uh, a thousand people I grew up with uh, but I mean who the fuck would you be appeasing and the real way to know is that I just don't give a fuck about it you know what I mean it's like it is what it is I, I have a, a unique uh, voice and, and the, the other thing is like there's another person from Liverpool who had a unique voice, which is John Lennon. And actually, I, I just went to the same school as uh, as John Lennon. But you know, he's you know a celebrated scouser. Uh, but you won't find many people at all who have the same accent as uh, as uh, as John Lennon. And and you know, as much as you uh, as as you know, we all have uh, people with strong scouse accents in our lives. You know that we love. Uh, it's <laughs> you can't put on an international message to a lot of people. You wouldn't ask them to be an ambassador if God chooses you to, you know, to uh, to give out a message to the world. So, what can I say? I'm just a, I'm just a fucking specimen. That's all, that's all I can say about it. I I, uh, I have a, a unique um, a, a unique accent, but but you know, absolutely, I've spent my entire life in Liverpool, um, and. Uh, and and you know that's where the podcast is now. So someone asked uh, where I am now, Liverpool. But again, being the international man of mystery I am, uh, next week that may uh, that may change to to be somewhere else. Another one of our friends has written in and said, "Hey, sugar plum." Some people in my life will call me sugar plum. Also, hey, sugar plum. 
I nibbled some mushrooms one time and started to think that a, a potato was trying to sell car insurance to me. Worse than that, it had the voice of Piers Morgan. It was terrifying. Do you have any experience with bad trips? Why do they happen? And can you give any advice on how to prevent them? Well, I mean, I, I think even with sober eyes, I can see a lot of similarities between Piers Morgan and, and a potato. So I think uh, this might be some uh, some gnosis you were bestowed with here. You shouldn't, shouldn't brush aside too readily. Um, but actually, no, I, I'm actually the king of good trips to be honest with you like I, I i know i know it's something you won't often hear people say but i don't think anyone has had a better reaction to lsd than myself it was, it was exactly kind of what i needed in my life to be honest uh it's pretty tremendous um but i have been around a lot of bad trips um i mean you know i, I i've been around people who play it Duck, duck, goose with the dark side on a, on a regular basis, you know. Uh, oh, who touched me? You know, real, uh, real character. Characters are shivering a room at a, a room temp. You know, what is going? Oh, fuck, freezing. You know, just these kind of people. I I took taken acid with people before, where uh, literally, but like an hour in, they go, "Hey, lad, I've never told anyone this before, but." Uh, but I think I might be schizophrenic. It's like, oh yeah, thanks. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, I guess I'll just be Carl Jung for the next eight hours then. And um, and you know, so I, I, I'm well aware of it. I, I've had uh, knives put to me on on ass. A lot of like you know sketchy uh, sketchy moments. But uh, generally, it's it's to do with intelligence. You know, that's uh, that that's kind of what it comes down to. In my experience, because I think there's there's three types of um, hallucination. I think there's one real hallucination, and and an example of this is uh, is uh, when I, I was on acid once, I could like feel a plant breathing, and I, I don't think that's a hallucination. I think I was actually was witnessing it breathe. I think you access parts of your brain that you can't usually, and you perceive the world in a way. Uh, that you can't usually perceive, but it doesn't mean it's not the uh, you know you just don't also have access to that part of the brain, um, and then I, I think some of it's kind of nonsensical, and and most of the time it's subconscious. So I had a friend who who uh, had a bad time with acid, and he was like, "Oh, like there's a fucking huge like liver bed," uh, but really what acid is doing is is making you question who you are. Um, your entire identity and, and really pushing it forward in front of you going are you okay with that and you know he supports Liverpool Football Club the, like the emblem is a, a fucking live bird so it makes sense if, if that's how you looked at it and just went oh well it's presenting me a live bird because I support Liverpool and I'm more than okay with that then it kind of goes away and, and I, I don't know if this is actually what's happened I don't know if it actually is your subconscious I don't know if it actually is um working this way but but even if it's a placebo it works so it's good good to kind of look at it like that is is just they're um presenting you uh part of your subconscious and then as a kind of riddle like oh what does this mean about yourself and then when you answer that 
the kind of uh, manufactured um, joy that you receive from like solving the riddle, you get. So then, when you have to go, oh, that's what it's about. Uh, you then solve it, you know. So, so it's good to just kind of look at it like that. But again, it, it kind of requires a level of intelligence because you just can't be vaginal about it. You need to know first it's, it's not going to last forever. It will stop. It will lessen over time. Um, and uh, and yeah, just to kind of observe your subconscious with absolute stoicism. Just look at it and just don't don't try to fight against it. Just just go with it. Uh, but another thing here too is that. Uh, it's kind of so long, uh, the whole like experience on acid. Like, mushrooms are, are, are a lot shorter than acid, but um, but it, it's such a long experience that I, I don't even think there really is a bad trip, you know, because because even even with uh, Damien, he looked back on that uh, night with me the, for the first time we took it. Uh, as a bad trip, you really look back, and uh, we laughed hysterically for hours that night, like in uh, certain uh, parts, and um, and and Damien's a character. Of course, I, I forgave him. You know, I mean, the guy's fucking. He's a character, but he's fucked on uh, acid. Didn't know what it was. You know, that's what it comes down to. And he's a fascinating case study because because um, he actually isn't crazy. You know, like I've taken acid with him again, and um, and it's it, and it's the same with any drug you take with Damien. It's like he just goes crazy while he's on the drug. But I wouldn't even call it drug-induced psychosis or something. It's like he's kind of there, but you can't tell. You can't you can't figure out like how much of it's him and how much of it's like the drug. You know, uh, and he, he's just a live wire. Like he always goes off script. There's always an adventure happening. With what, whatever you uh, whatever you do, but like, it's not like a real like uh, mental person because it's like I've taken acid with those people and they just have like a thousand yard stir and they start like speaking word salad and all this kind of stuff, and he's not that. So I don't know. He's a real mystery, uh, Damien. But um, but I'd say yeah, we we live in a time now where where people uh, don't want any forgiveness uh, to occur. Uh, and that's what they wanted. They don't want a society of forgiveness. That's what all like cancel culture and this bullshit's about. It's like once you have a society of forgiveness, that's not possible. Um, so yeah, I forgive Damien, and um, and uh, and it's way worth it. He's a he's a character, and what he said to me afterwards, he was like, "Oh, I had a really bad time, but I want to do it again." And I said, uh, "Like, oh, why?" And he he said, "Just because I have." Um, a nightmare doesn't mean I'm never gonna go to sleep ever again, uh, and that was his philosophy. So I took it again with him. He didn't have a bad time, but he's still nuts. You know what I mean? I still have many of the anecdotes with him, uh, even on acid. But yeah, uh, and it's funny with uh, with Damien because he actually he actually usually comes as a pair because he, he doesn't live in the same side of the city as me. So I only see him like once a year, and he'll like throw a shoe at my window uh, to like wake me up. I go okay. This must be Damien, and uh, and then you know we'll we'll uh, hang out together. But he, but he usually comes as a as a pair. Him and his mate will call um, we'll call Beelzebub, uh, Damien and and Beelzebub, and uh, and I saw them a, a few years ago, and they came over. We were going to smoke some weed, 
And uh, so, so they came over and we went outside into the garden and start start smoking. As soon as we start smoking, Beelzebub hands me his phone and goes, watch this lad, it's fucking hilarious. And um, and then so I start watching this video and it's just a guy and he's like kneeling down and he's like jerking his cock. Going, oh, please shit in my mouth, please shit, shit all over my mouth. And... Uh, and uh, and then like a blonde woman standing over going, yeah, you want me to shit in your mouth? And you go, yeah, please, please shit a shit all over me. And he's like, he's really like into it, you know, he's passionate. And then uh, so this like fucking brown log just starts descending out of her uh, <laughs> magnolia badonkadonk. And just fucking starts sliding down, and it, it touches his tongue, right? And immediately he just he just turns pale, and uh, and you can just see on him like, oh, this is a bad idea. <laughs> I don't want this. Actually, it's kind of the the delusionment of uh, of lust. It's like, oh, I really want that, and then it happens. Like, ah, uh, maybe not. And uh, his face just starts like contorting and changing and it's, it's going deeper and deeper into his mouth this fucking log of shit till it eventually like starts like fucking deep throating him this, <laughs> this fucking yeah this is log just uh, fucking deep in his throat and he's like gagging on it going and uh, and his, his whole his whole face is red and then like as it as it <laughs> As it gets like too too deep into his mouth, it like it snaps off and fucking like hits him on the chin, and uh, you can just see like a tear strolling down his face, and he's completely flaccid, and uh, as you know, he's just like, oh, you know, I wish. Uh, <laughs> oh, this wasn't what I thought it would be. I, I uh, you know, it's a good job no one's filming this right now. Uh, and anyway, it's just just it was a funny video in fairness, uh, but it's just that's this kind of guy, guy uh, Beelzebub is. And, and I told my brother about that video, and he goes, "Ah, lad, that's fucking funny, that." And then he he, he uh, starts looking on the internet to find the same video. So he's looking for like shit porn, and uh, and you know you'd think like. Because it's such a like a mad thing, like that is one of the maddest things, like scat porn. You would think it's like two thousand people, maybe like two and a half thousand. And um, my brother started looking for it. A million results. A million. There's a million. Like, how the fuck is that not like a a, a threat to national security? You know what I mean. Uh, how is it? Why is this not? Why is this not global news? Like uh, a fucking million people, and we couldn't find that video. But he found another one, and there's a guy, and he's like a businessman, and you can know he's a businessman. Really like fancy office. He's got a fucking like deer's head on the on the wall. Some chippy guy, and he's on his shoulders, leaning back, and he he starts like <laughs> he starts taking a shit into his own mouth. While he's on his uh, shoulders, and as it like lands, and he's just like emotionless in his entire face as he's doing this, but he's jerking his cock while he's doing it. And anyway, the shit lands in his mouth, <laughs> and then once once the shit lands in his mouth, he just starts fucking spunking a load on top of the shit. 
<laughs> yeah, it's fucking. Uh, oh, it was it was vile, and you know this this is someone you're brushing shoulders. This is a taxpayer. You know what I mean? This is someone who's probably asking for like two beverages on a flight. You know, they're going, oh, the unvaccinated are, are so irresponsible. You know what I mean? It's like, and why is no one talking about this? Like, we want to prevent an apocalypse here. That's what, we, that's what we'd like to do is prevent an apocalypse. And it's like, this is our fucking arsenal. <laughs> show me, uh, show me that video, Beelzebub. And, um... And then, uh, and then Damien goes, oh, you think that's funny? Um, oh, you got to watch this. When he gave me a bit of a backstory. And basically, um, they they had a friend, Damien and Beelzebub, uh, who, who was in university. So he was in a university campus. And he had, uh, like, Chinese roommates uh, staying with him. But they kind of went back home for, like, Chinese New Year or whatever. And... And uh, and so he invited Beelzebub and Damien and a bunch of their friends from their side of the city to to go to um, go to his place and they all had like a huge sit off. They got a lot of alcohol, a lot of cocaine, a large, large, large amount of uh, cocaine, and um, and and so that's kind of all I got told at this point. And and <laughs> and then Damien starts showing me uh, the video. On his phone, and honestly, it's one, it's one of the funniest videos I've ever seen, and uh, I don't know if I'll be able to show it on the podcast someday. If I if I get into it, you know, I might ask him. Hopefully, maybe they'll allow it, but I don't know if it even it's even in existence anymore. But uh, but basically, he shows me this video, and it's uh, it's Beelzebub, and Beelzebub just has a fucking like a. A full wardrobe on his just back, like on his shoulders, he's holding a wardrobe, and his jaws swinging, and he, he's just going uh, out the window, yeah, out the window, and he just fucking <laughs> launches this wardrobe into the street outside, and, and what they did is they went into like some like random Chinese girl's bedroom. And just because they thought it was a good idea under the influence just to throw all of her possessions outside into the street. <laughs> and uh, and I saw him like a year later in, uh, in Thailand actually and I said to him, uh, I remember when you showed me that video uh, and he goes, um, oh lad it's fucking heavy that, you know we almost went to prison and everything. Funny though. So yeah, absolute characters. Uh, this is why you know forgiveness is an important uh, thing in our society. We must bring back forgiveness. You know, it, it, forgiveness trumps vengeance every time, and um, and that's what you have to do. That's what that's what we have to do. Vengeance is a, is a vaginal quality. We must forgive, and uh, and yeah, but but as I say, in, in terms of um, in terms of a bad trip, just uh, just try and remain confident. No, it's a uh, it's a it's a temporary experience. It's ephemeral. Don't lose uh, sight of that, and uh, and don't fight it. You know that it, it whatever. Just just go with the flow. Whatever wherever it's going to take you, let it. You know it's uh, it, it, don't don't be uh, scared of your mind. You just got to look at, at it your subconscious with a a, a, a touch of uh, stoicism. But uh, but I think this is a nicer uh, segue. To a uh, to a segment prov- I ever uh, provided for you. Open mind, 
For this segment of the podcast, uh, I just thought I'd imbue some wisdom that I have. You know, sometimes it might be a, a top five, a top ten, top twenty. Who knows? You know, I just I just have some wisdom I'd like to to give to y'all uh, free of charge. And um, and yeah, that's uh, that's what this is. And uh, and you know, some people offer some advice when it comes to cycling. Like, oh, don't jump out the window. Like, uh, yeah, you're not going to jump out the window. I have a, a full uh, confidence there. And I say, I'm not encouraging anyone to do anything here. Everyone has their own free will. You can do what you want to do. And, um, you know, all I'm doing is just telling you, you know, what was the, the, the uh, best things for me. So, five. Uh, in at number five, embrace a normal day. Now, I say a lot of people kind of make these kinds of uh, special arrangements like oh you got to have a mind that uh, you've got to like you know uh, make sure like the temperature's right you got to you know uh, be a segregate yourself you got to like, cover yourself in like a, a little homemade fort or whatever but it's like you actually don't have to do that and you don't really understand how psychedelic sober people can be until you've taken a lot of acid and then being around sober people and and a key part of this is is to not tell them that you're tripping because as soon as, soon as they realize then you know the, the fun's kind of over but uh you know just just have a just have a poker face and um and you know you you sort of discover things that are way more um uh are way more fascinating than you know which which no one really gives you advice on like brushing your teeth just like a simple thing it's like you brush your teeth and now you you you're you're not only like you know have clean teeth you are the embodiment you are the personification of clean itself you just tra- like transform into a little mint leaf with little arms and legs and you're walking around like as a mint leaf just feeling the air blowing through you like uh, you know, these are the kind of discoveries you can make when you just live a normal day, and um, and honestly, no one will realise. That's the thing is you you assume you look insane, but you actually don't. You know, like you, you don't look that weird at all. And uh, I, well, with one exception, and and that uh, that's only one time I've ever been uh, kind of found out, uh, so to speak. Um, was I used to smoke, and. Uh, and so I'd, I'd make rollies, like roll cigarettes. And uh, my hands went completely numb. And I, I forgot the word for numbness. So just like, you know, a brain fart, as they call it. I, I just, some, for some reason, couldn't couldn't remember the word for numb. And, and I had like a real intense sensation in my hands. And uh, and I, I couldn't roll a cigarette. And I turned to my brother and I said, hey, can you, uh, can you roll this? I've got electricity in my fingers. And he just kind of looked at me, and he, and he went, "You're a fucking crackhead, you lad." Like he, he didn't, he didn't know what what it was. But you know, that was the only kind of close shave I've had. Other than that, you know, you you keep stum. It's a fascinating experience. You know, you can be cutting and cutting an onion and be having a flashback to the song. You know, it's uh, it, it's one hell of a, an experience. Fill it. Yeah, and number four 
embrace a, a surreal day. Uh, and what I mean by that is have a tea party in the snow. Just just do an ordinary thing in an unusual environment because you can really do whatever you want as an adult. Um, I had Christmas in October one year. You know, the, the reason it, it's so psychedelic is your mind retains a certain expectation of where the event should be taking place. So every 20 minutes or so, your mind will will question why you're there, which, which in, in turn uh, makes hilarity ensue uh, because you're, you, you're creating a very peculiar memory for yourself. You know, you're, you're breaking out the Battenberg, another friend's pouring uh, some chamomile, another friend's Jimmy Savile. Uh, you know, may- maybe someone's teeth will be chattering at some point and they'll just be, uh, be, you know, cold and white like MJ. And, you know, they might question whether it's even a good idea. And, and that's part of the experience as well. The ups and downs, the roller coaster. It, it's a journey that you're a part of here. There's no, there's no real good and bad. You're breaking through the boundaries of duality here. And, uh, and you know, maybe someone will die of frostbite, but again, just, just that's what it's all about. And um, you know, being around your friends, uh, being there for each other, creating these memories, and you know, seeing your breath appear in the winter air, watching the snow fall, uh, you know, as the steam rises from the teapot. You know, this is these are uh, it, you know uh, priceless experiences that you're guaranteed to have, which will make it all all worthwhile in the end. And number three, we have uh, embraced the sensual. You know, treat yourself. If you have a bath, make it a bubble bath. You know, eat some tiramisu. You know what I mean? Uh, lick the spoon as many times as you want. You know, get caught in your reflection. Be a narcissist for a, for a brief moment if you have to. Uh, you know, get a massage. Light some incense. It's all about the senses here. Just a, a good smells, good uh, feels, good everything, you know. And, um, and and especially dressing comfortably. And now this I cannot stress enough. Dressing comfortably. You know, um, if clothes must be on your back, make sure they're made of silk. Have silken clothes, have fur clothes, faux fur perhaps, if you're uh, in uh, Peter, you're one of them quags. Then, uh, you know, wear some pyjamas, uh, some fairy slippers. Now, you might look like you're in a mental hospital, but it, it, this is another kind of... Um, you know, building experience as a coming of age experience. You've got to drop the insecurity. You know, have a gown or have the fairy slippers, have the uh, the silk pajamas. Like, you will feel like you're walking on a cloud, and that's very important. Is the uh, the comfort here, and um, and you know, get a uh, get a get a a blow job, get a blow job from from a grade nine flautist. You know they'll uh, have having a saliva and and sweat and all of other nature's accoutrements, you know, and blood. Well, we're not blood, you know, we're not Jewish, but you know, even if you don't have someone to canoodle with, I remember the first um, uh, orgasm I had on acid, and uh, and you know, I I, I was um, perhaps too too crazy to to maintain a relationship at this age so i was i was stuck with porn and i was seeing uh, i was near the end of my trip and i decided okay i'll just have an orgasm in the name of science here some field research and so uh, so i put some porn on and porn's a weird thing 
on a normal day, you know, witnessing all the uh, the mutilated uh, dicks and uh, you know insincerity, the fucking uh, exodus of uh, <laughs> of fatherhood on this planet. So there's a wild thing anyway, but uh, but watching on acid is is you know an exceptionally weird experience. Uh, I just started to think to myself, ha- have there always been whores, uh, and now we just have cameras, or is this something new to our technological age here you know a, a bit of a chicken and the vibrating egg situation uh, I, I started to picture the year uh, 538 AD where there's some uh, some grubby fingered uh, semen demons going oh go on give it in and you know just like jerking off like six six uh, people going, oh it's like a carrot <laughs> like uh, you know just just sucking everyone off you know it's uh, yeah it's a uh, it, 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 it's a it's a uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a ponderous experience. It's a head it's a head scratcher. Uh, and another thing that's uh, that's uh, kind of interesting with porn too, while we're on the subject, is we've actually seen more tits in our short lives than the entirety of our ancestors combined. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Uh, I mean, think about it because in the past you would just see one pair of tits. Okay, maybe. You'd catch a glimpse of someone breastfeeding too, I suppose, your own mothers. But uh, but for the, for most of us, that's a, a forgettable experience, you know, Italians aside. But uh, but you you would mostly just have like have seen your your wives um, who you married at like twelve, and that's it. You know what I mean? Your sister, if you were a royal. If you were royalty, you might see your sisters, but most people wouldn't have seen many. Whereas I've seen thousands, and I'm not bragging, not being braggadocious here. This is just the degenerate times we uh, happen to live in. But anyway, an orgasm is a sensual experience, which is, uh, uh, you know, tremendous, and um, it's an intrinsically pleasurable experience. You know, you know that should make you uh, think a lot about the world and nature too. I think. Okay, in at number two, we have uh, embraced the arts. Uh, what I will say though is that if you intend on reading a book, get the audio book version, as words have a tendency to not want to stay on the page when you're reading on acid. Well, well, that is with the exception of my own book, of course, which it will be available in the description if you'd uh, you'd ever like to to donate to the pod, make our dream of owning a family of alpacas come true. You know, everyone needs some uh, some kind of security. My my book has uh, magical powers, actually. So if you're tripping too hard, it actually relaxes you and uh, starts singing Orinoco flow. Uh, whilst uh, several dryads appear and start massaging your gooch. Um, it's really phenomenal. You should definitely buy it. Um, and uh, and although I'd never prevent you from dabbling in any of the finer arts, even like theatre or opera or ballet or whatever, um, or even visual art, you know, I think Da Vinci or Van Eyck or uh, the, the uh, Garden of Earthly Delights by Hieronymus Bosch might be a trip. Um but I, I just didn't have much experience with these things during my acid year, so I can really give you tried and tested recommendations for our films and music, because, you know, I was, a, I was a basic bitch in my youth, I, I confess. So, uh, for films, I used to enjoy watching the Yellow Submarine movie, and it's funny because um, 
if you tell someone you've seen the yellow submarine film on acid like oh wow that must have been incredibly trippy you know and and it's like eh it, it is good it is good it's definitely worth a watch but um but because it's so psychedelic itself you kind of anticipate it or expect too much, I guess. I, I I don't know what it is, but when you see something that's trippy by itself, it isn't that trippy on acid. It, it's a, it's a strange thing. Uh, apart from one scene, uh, I'm not sure what song it is. I think it might be only a Northern song. Uh, and I would watch the film just for that scene, to be honest, because that's in- incredible. Uh, it, it, we watched it like a hundred times just to get to that bit. Uh, you know, I um, so we didn't have a remote or rewind, so you know. And another one that's uh, like uh, like that's Fantasia, Willy Wonka, uh, but, but the OG one with with Gene Watts it, Gene Wilder. That, that's a good one. Jumanji, two thousand and one, a space odyssey, particularly the uh, hyperspace scene. That's uh, that's phenomenal. And uh, the best film ever made, of course, which is uh, Ratatouille. I actually got the idea of watching uh, uh, Ratatouille from Peep Show. There's a, a drug adult character called Super Hands that I recommend, and I was a drug adult teenager myself. Oh, okay, that's a <laughs> that's a, a recommendation I can uh, respect and value. Fucking Super Hands, and uh, honestly, is it? It's my favorite film. It is actually I watch it every birthday and Christmas. You know. Remy, if you focus on what you left behind, you will never be able to see what lies ahead. You know, Chef Gusteau just uh, whipping up some wisdom. It's really one of the best things you can do. There's so, there's so much subtext, honestly. Uh, uh, you know, you'll be compa- combining cheese and grapes in, uh, in no time at all. And uh, for music, I think it's a good idea to take the time to listen to an album properly. Don't just have it in the background or listen to it on Spotify or something. Listen to a full album and be fully immersed in it. Because really, a single's just like a commercial thing. When you listen to the album, you get the full picture of the artist's work and vision. Um, you know, you want to listen to music made by people that have indulged in psychedelics also. That way, they can take you to where you need to go and bring you back to you know, treat you, treat you to a few hidden instruments and binaural beats. I'd say, uh, I'd say a good place to start is a Revolver by the Beatles. If you wait about 20 minutes after first nibbling the tab, Tomorrow Never Knows should play just as it starts to kick in. And I don't think there's a better way to commence a trip than listening to this song. You know, and, and another thing, if you haven't banged a fistful of acid and listen to probably all in the mind by Oasis. You haven't finished puberty yet, uh, you know. And most people say uh, Oasis's best albums are definitely maybe and Morning Glory. Good albums, not gonna lie. But uh, but I think the best one is actually Heathen Chemistry, which is considered a, a you know a flop, but it's actually tremendous. There's not a bad song on the album, uh, and you'll know that when you're off your tits and. Um, and uh, another one's Humbug by Arctic Monkeys was a, a favourite of mine. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll feel like you're a pirate that's being chased uh, by an octopus that goes by the name of Matthew Helders III. You know, anything from the 60s, uh, from the top of my head, Forever Changes by Arthur Lee and Love, Cream, Hendrix, Bowie, Donovan, The Kings, The Stones, Small Faces, The Beach Boys, The Zombies, The Birds, T-Rex, Black Sabbath, The Doors, Supertramp, Pink Floyd. You can give a Tame Impala a whirl, perhaps. 
uh, Stone Roses, Kasabian. No idea who the fuck listens to Kasabian uh, sober, but on drugs, I assure you they are godlike. Um, and you know, if you want to voyage with a concept album, Ziggy Stardust or the Village Green Preservation Society by the Kings are, uh, are what I'd prescribe. And um, and if you're not into bands and you know you're adamant, you just want a boogie. Uh, listen to the Chemical Brothers. Das Spiegel will have you uh, goose-stepping backwards all the way to the moon. You know, Amorphous Androgynous, uh, Kaminanda, Callias Scintilla, all have my stamp of approval. Uh, and, and, of course, the seminal, Dance now, wherever you may be. I am the lord of the dance, said he. You know, because that's... Um, that's the song they play in strip clubs in uh, in heaven. Also, so don't be shy to dabble yourself in the arts. You know, pick up a pencil or a paintbrush or a guitar. Spearhead a renaissance. Perhaps you've already uh, mastered one of those somewhere. Well, now's the time to take another direction you couldn't have conceived of before. Push yourself beyond your comfort zone. Let your ambition know no bounds. Uh, and if you've you've never done any of those things before, now's the time to start. Uh, have some fun with it and, and start believing in yourself. Bring your imagination to life. Anyone can cook. And number one, we have Transcend. So, you know, we've had fun. But, but now it's time to turn this uh, psychedelic experience into an entheogenic one. Um, and the way I, I uh, did this and discovered it is is I had some uh, psychedelic images shown to me by a friend. And it was kind of on accident. I just kind of fucked around with his phone a bit and made these psychedelic images. I'd say they're kind of similar through... Uh, S- s- similar images exist in uh, art around the world, particularly like Indo-Aryan um, cultures. I don't know what you'd call them, maybe like arabesques. Perhaps it has also some, something to do with like a soma drinking uh, society. There could be some, you know, psychedelic a- element where where you know those particular um, shapes uh, originated. But uh, but yeah, basically we we had these like, psychedelic images. And uh, and you'd look at it and just go like, oh, is that a video? And then it would be moving, but it, it's it's not just moving for me. It'd be moving for my friend also. You know, it, it's a shared it, it's a shared thing, and it's like um, um, again going back to before, like when you have sometimes uh, hallucinations that are true hallucinations, and it, uh, it's like you're actually just really witnessing. I think this is a case of that where. Um, there's such a thing as synesthesia where people can, you know, uh, like see sound and smell color and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think that that is what happens when you're on LSD. And um, and so that's kind of kind of what happens. I think that um, you you see uh, these pictures move and and it will change shape. So it might begin in a kind of more of like a honeycomb formation but then it will suddenly jolt when you keep looking at it into say like a lotus shape and then after being a lotus shape it might jolt into being a dime and then back to the honeycomb like it it always dance around and change color and all this stuff and i feel like what it is 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 you're witnessing the kind of um geometric expression of sound because because we'd also also listen to uh, music while we're looking at these images um 
which is my recommendation here. Uh, you know, listen to music while looking at these psychedelic images. I, I can't, remember, can't remember the name of it now, but I think it's, um, it might be like cymatics, I want to say. And and that's kind of what this is. It, it It's like the, uh, uh, like they'll put a bunch of sand on like a disc and then play music and it'll create these geometric patterns out of the sound waves. And this is kind of what I think you're actually witnessing through all of this. Um, but it, it's quite interesting to me because it's a it's a kind of a throwback to um, to um, to the ancient Greeks because Plato would talk about the Platonic uh, forms and say how like you know all of these geometric shapes make up the foundations of the material world uh, and like you know Pythagoras with the music of spheres. Uh, and you know, even even going back to you know religions, where they'll, they'll say also uh, in the beginning the word there was a word, um, or in, in Hinduism where they talk about Om uh, being you know it, all all the material universe sprouting out of of sound ultimately, and uh, and uh, again I'm not sure what the tube side will um, will put this on, but. It's possible I might even leave a link to like some sacred geometry or do a, an episode in the future on sacred geometry because it's kind of about all of this stuff too. Like you see um, these shapes within nature, like the golden ratio and this kind of stuff that are recurring pat uh, patterns throughout nature that kind of manifest themselves over and over again. And uh, and this is this is what you witness with uh, w with this and uh, these stands. But and that's what also why I can I can. Um, subscribe to the idea that in the Kikion drunkard, uh, the Alucinian mysteries, it could have been an ergotized beer, you know, or, or, or some something like that, uh, some kind of ergotized substance. Um, so it's, you know, a, a lysergic beverage. Because through these pictures, I pretty much came to the same conclusions uh, in terms of uh, a geometry myself, and and uh, with uh, uh, sounds also. Because, um, well, well, you know, what, what will happen is that you'll, you'll look at these images, and uh, and then you'll see the uh, the particles uh, exist. The uh, you'll see the waveform, and then beyond that, you'll see um, the geometric shapes and and sound before you then you know break free. Um, what what is a, an interesting. Uh, element of this is it doesn't have to be anything special you could take a picture of anything and then make it psychedelic you know because again this this these geometric shapes make up all uh, uh, like everything everything that possibly exists you know you look deep enough into your you know your own skin you're, you're like oh you start to see a beautiful pattern will emerge within it you look long enough into a floor the same thing will happen and this is what you kind of can kind of see with with acid naturally. Never mind when you have these pictures. So then what you're going to do is you just basically uh, have a look at your picture, be playing some music, and uh, you just keep staring at it. And you're going to see it move. You're going to see it change shape. As I said, you're going to see it change color. It's going to dance around. But you keep looking at it. And essentially, what I've figured out in hindsight is this is just meditation. It's really what it is. Like you'll hear a lot of meditation. You'll say, oh, pick one object and focus on that one object. Um, 
and that's kind of what we're doing here and you're kind of ignoring the sound around you, you become immersed by all your surroundings it is just meditation but it basically um you're on spiritual steroids <laughs> this is a fast track so what's gonna happen is uh is you'll start to feel a static feeling push against your face don't be a faggot don't be a pussy at this point because many people look away because they get scared and I've seen it happen and they won't get to the end. You've got to be brave. You've got to have courage. Just just keep looking at it. Nothing is going to harm you. You'll keep hit, feeling this static and it'll grow and it'll grow and it'll grow and it'll push against your face to a point where if you look down at your nose, you'll be able to see it vibrating as your body's disappearing. And, um, you, you know, you just have to, uh, to persevere in that. It's kind of like an old television when you like a box TV, you, you'd turn it off and put your hand to it and feel that static, the same sensation. You feel this static push against your face and just keep looking, just keep focusing the one place and you'll feel it more and then you hear, and you'll hear a hum coming. Again, and that's a, it's a good sign. You'll feel your body uh, disappear and voila, you know, you will have, uh, you know, reintroduced yourself to uh, to Atman you will have um, fucking escaped the matrix uh, dissolved Maya whatever you want to call it you will have seen the light and uh, and that is the most valuable thing that you can experience in this life and so the time has come to say goodbye and uh, I hope you've enjoyed yourselves I hope that uh, I managed to tickle you at times. I hope that uh, your thoughts were thoroughly provoked and uh, you discovered some things that you uh, never knew before. Um, and uh, I mean, I am my own harshest critic, so I'm well aware there'll be many, many, many imperfections in this first episode, but I do plead with you all to um, to just have some patience with me because I will... Uh, I will improve. That is a promise I can make. I will improve from episode to episode. And uh, week to week and month to month. From strength to strength. And um, yeah, and well, one of the other improvements that uh, should hopefully come in the coming weeks would be um, that we could end with music by a, an independent artist. Uh, I, I posted about this and I've got a few... Uh, musician friends, it's a bit of a ball ache to be honest because I told them about it. I said, Hey, we're gonna end um, uh, the episode with some uh, music from an independent musician. And I got a few messages, people going, Oh, yeah, absolutely, uh, that sounds boss. I'm, I'm game. And I say, Okay, well, send um, send in your music in an mp3 file to uh, pabspabulum at gmail.com. Empty. <laughs> messages unseen so you know there's fucking nothing I can do this, this week we're going to be played out by a bit of Wolfgang Amadeus a bit of Analingus um, and you know if no one sends anything in the future then we might just have to swerve off the entire idea but I would like in future episodes going forward to have independent musicians I can't be dealing with anyone um, um, signed to a label because of copyright reasons and um you know, obviously, I don't want any wiggers, you know, uh, obvious reasons. But, um, but you know, if you're an independent musician, send your send your music uh, to pabspabulum at gmail.com. 
and uh, you know hopefully a future episode then uh, you know you'll get a, you'll get a bit of uh, free exposure at the end of the uh, podcast. I'll t- tell people you know where they can find you, where you're playing, this kind of stuff. You know, I, I basically I want I want to be the <laughs> I want to be the Jimmy Savile of the Zuma generation. That's a, that's what I'm saying. I I'm the Jimmy Savile of the G- Zuma generation. It's just send me send me your music and I will make your your dreams come true. Um, so you know that's something that I hope we could uh, improve for uh, for next week, and um, I mean as I said before, we plan on posting on uh, on uh, multiple platforms. So if, it, if if an episode ever does get taken down, I hope this is the only time I have to really say this. If an episode does get taken down ever, well, hopefully you'll be able to find them on Odyssey or Rumble or uh, just like. You know, maybe deep, way into the future, somewhere on the on the uh, dark web. But you know, we're gonna always persevere. They're, they're never gonna stop it. So we'll we'll uh, we'll keep going. But a point with that is, uh, you've seen how like the the uh, elites react to these like celebrities and billionaires waging in on uh, on the the topic of free speech. Uh, and it's not even it's not even free speech. It's, it's a bastardized version of free speech. It's completely diluted version and what I'm waging in on really is like hey what do you think poor people should and shouldn't be allowed to say hmm that, that's basically what it is um so it's completely patronizing not not really free speech but even the bastardized version just the notion of supporting it and you see the backlash to those people's lives you know so now we're what we're doing is we're hosting ourselves on <laughs> pro-censorship Platforms ultimately just just blatantly pro censorship platforms, while we are maintaining the stance that we are pro free speech. So you know, we're never gonna get any favors from these people. We we should know that now and not be naive. We're never gonna be promoted by by their algorithms. Um, you know, we'll we'll get no help from anyone, and even the celebrities and uh, billionaires. It's like they're false idols if you're not figured out by now. Uh, completely vacuous. They they were just there uh, to muddy the waters of of all uh, uh, all things and and again particularly for free speech. Uh, uh, the people know what free speech is, and we know it's our destiny to take it. They're not they're, like I said. You see how scared the elites are when it's like billionaires talking about it. It's like imagine if it's the civilian population. They say this is our destiny to reclaim freedom of speech, our God-given right. From our God, our God-given voice boxes, you know this. This is our destiny. It's written in the stars, and we will sleepwalk towards that destiny. You know, they're, they're not gonna, they're not gonna support us. So that means I need all of the righteous people in the world. I need all of the people who care and value truth. Um, all of the people who um, are cultivating uh, virtue in their lives to be the algorithm. You know, fuck the algorithm. We are the algorithm. You know, tell your friends about it. Post it everywhere. Share it everywhere. Tell your dad about it. Tell your nan about it. Tell your dog about it. We, you know, make five fake accounts and Julius Caesar this up until they fucking, uh, you know, they're forced to pay attention to it because you know they're not going to help us. And. Uh, but as I say, you know, we'll get there in the end, and uh, and this is the start of something magical. Give it a like, subscribe, of course, and do follow at Pab the Crab. 
that's P-A-B, the crab, on, uh, on all social media. Educate yourself, buy a fucking book, and know that the time for peace is upon us. Lass uns froh und fröhlich froh sein. Lass uns froh und fröhlich froh sein.